Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is September 5th, 2022. Happy Labor Day, everyone. This is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can check me out overthecap.com whenever we got some time to do some postings on there. And, uh, you know, the season is upon us, so we're finally going to get some real meaningful football this week, uh, so that that is pretty good. Uh, no Nelly this week. Uh, I have been booted uh, by my from <laughs> from my usual recording spot by my son since I'm recording this uh, as a morning podcast uh, today. I didn't have time last night to do this, uh, so we're we're not doing any um, any beer tonight or beer this morning. Uh, we're just having a little bit of tea while we do the podcast. But uh, we got a a new computer that we were setting up uh, downstairs, which is pretty much where I record most of the time. And my son has decided that that should be a gaming computer. And uh, I, I guess he was playing Roblox on it, so he was interested in playing Roblox, so who am I to stop him from doing that? So he'll enjoy Roblox, and uh, I've just decided to run upstairs and try and record up here. Can't guarantee he won't decide to come up to tell me he's done with Roblox, and then I can go back down. Uh, but for the time being, I have been kicked out from there, and I'm sure Nelly is very disappointed to not get to participate in this week's podcast, but uh, I'm sure she'll be back next week. Um Anyway, it was a pretty eventful, I think, week with uh, some contract news, some, you know, some changes uh, with some of the teams as they're, they're trying to figure out their where they're going to be with their uh, salary cap. We saw teams do a lot of restructures. We still have teams that need to do them. Teams have until... Um, I don't remember if it's Tuesday at 4 p.m. or if it's Wednesday at 4 p.m. to where they have to comply with the cap. I think it might be Tuesday, but it might be Wednesday as well. Um, you know, since the regular season technically starts Thursday, I guess, for the uh, the games there. Um, so maybe then, and I'm just a little too lazy to look it up. But there are a couple teams just to start out with here. Um, a couple teams that still need to do a little bit of work with the salary cap. We saw the... Jets restructure some contracts this week. We saw the Patriots. We saw the Lions. Um, Saints, that was a strange one the Saints did. Um, they got their uh, fullback or uh, tight end there to uh, agree to a pay cut, it seemed like. But as far as I knew, his salary was guaranteed for the year. So I'm not really sure what that is. It might be a little bit more than meets the eye, I, I think, on that one. Um Maybe I got to get some more information on it, but the Giants still have a lot of work to do. Uh, we estimate the Giants are about seven million dollars over the cap right now. Now they may have done some stuff that hasn't been reported, some stuff that I, I haven't heard about yet, but they have to do work just to get salary cap compliant. Uh, I've been all over the salary cap situation since you know last January, last February when they hired the new GM, and we started to make some comments that. He wanted to do this kind of without having to restructure contracts. And there was X amount of salary cap space that he was hoping to get to. And running through the numbers, I said, whatever he's talking about, you know, it, it sounds wonderful, but it is absolutely impossible. And that's kind of been the deal with them. Um, you know, now, now they're hit by the injury bug again with players on IR. They have... Uh, it's not the tops in the league. I don't have the amount on the league, but they have uh, one, two, three, four, five, 
at least six guys on IR, um, you know, $4 million tied up in IR, another $4 million tied up in the pup list. All that stuff counts now. Um, you know, so so all those players are on there. Um, but, yeah, I have them right around seven. That's also including Platzgummer, who I think they have an exemption for. He might, he might have gotten released the other day. Um, I just haven't put that in, but that's only 700000 that's going to come off. So, I mean, they're probably going to have to restructure Leonard Williams. Um, you know, he's got a $19 million salary, so they, they can restructure there. They could go to Barkley to get some savings. I, I don't think that makes any sense. So I think you're, you're pretty much going to Leonard Williams here. Um, outside chance that you go to Kenny Galladay. You know, if they have any hopes of trading Kenny Galladay, they're going to have to eat some of that salary anyway. Uh, his base this year is $13 million. So maybe the Giants would be better off considering how much they'd have to pay to trade him anyway. At least pay half of it now. Um, you know, and that that can open up some some cap room for you if you decide to to do that. You know, you, you don't have to go all in on him. Um, but all you're doing in any event, all you're doing is deferring charges to next year uh, for when you're going to release him. Um, you know, his his contract is just a albatross um you know for for pretty much everything so i'm just seeing right now you know how much you could save if you did that let's see if you paid eight eight million bucks would be a reasonable assumption for what to do let's see how much would that be Whoops, let's just work with some of the numbers here. Uh, they, they would probably have to convert about $9 million if they just wanted to get under. They may have to do both Galladay and Williams. Right, no, you know what? I, I'm wrong on that. Leonard Williams' number is high enough to um, to where they could do it. Yeah, if it was just Galladay, they, they would have to convert about $9 million just to be cap compliant. Um, with Williams... You know that that number is so much, and you throw those void years on there. You know you can create about thirteen million with Williams. So Williams is probably the guy that they're going to do. But if they're looking to to kind of run it down the middle, I think you would maybe do both. I would do Galladay on the high end. Keep your fingers crossed. You can trade him. And I know everyone's going to say, well, all that's doing is giving them more dead money next year. It's a sunk contract. I mean, you're just trying to do what you got to do to survive. Giants made a, a strange release here, um, Blake Martinez, this week. It just kind of came out of nowhere. This was a player who they had restructured in the offseason. They guaranteed his base salary. Um, they paid him a little signing bonus. So they guaranteed him $2 million. And uh, the only thing they save is really just the chance that his per-game bonus was going to accrue this year. So he had a million dollars in per-game bonuses, of which uh, under 200000 actually counted on the cap right now because he was hurt most of last season. And the release basically saved no cap room. They probably lost cap room on it because his, unless he voided that guarantee, um, his salary was fully guaranteed for the year. So again, the only thing they saved was that $200,000, um, you know, give or take a little bit in the per game bonus that was counting on the cap. And you're replacing him on the roster by someone who makes at least $700,000. So you got no savings. You got 200 k in savings with the cut. 
Now you got another 700 coming up. Um, you know, so really you're losing 500 on that. So they, it puts them in a, in a worse position. And, you know, they, they, his contract is a perfect example of just complete contract mismanagement. Now, it, the stuff that we're talking about here is not ridiculously high. The, the figures, um, you know, his, his dead money here is going to be 7-5 for the season, and that'll be it. There's nothing left for next year. Um, but if you go back in time and you look at what the Giants did with Blake Martinez, when they first signed him as a free agent a couple years ago, and this was the case with all the guys they signed, and I, I think this is where Gettleman really started to just probably get lost. And I know Gettleman's the butt of a lot of jokes and people are going to say he was lost the minute he took the job. But when they went after those free agents a couple of years ago, the Giants actually did what seemed on paper like a reasonable job of kind of resetting the ship. Um, they were going with a very different salary structure than what they had done in the past. They had... Uh, Instead of doing the deals with the monstrous signing bonuses up front, and they were going to run four and five years in length, remember the Damon Harrison, Janoris Jenkins, for those of you who are Giants fans and can remember back to when they signed those guys, those were all contracts that were super bullish on the number um, that they were paying those guys. Vernon was another one. And you just looked at the, those contracts the minute they were signed, and you just go, they're, they're going to regret every single one of these contracts. So this time around, they approached things a lot differently. And when the, the deals were first reported, I remember even saying, you know, the Giants are taking a very different approach, and it's just a much smarter approach than they did the last time. That they're, they're trying to maintain more flexibility with these guys than what they did the last time. So what happened was his original contract, if I remember correctly, called for no signing bonus at all. Uh, maybe there was a minimal one, but uh, it, it was basically nothing. And, you know, you can argue the pros and cons of doing that. But anyway, by the time Penn got put to paper, the Giants had overreached in free agency. And so they kind of changed their, their viewpoint on it. And they did a $6 million signing bonus. Now, that, that really wasn't that bad. Um, you know, you, you were looking at uh, $14 million that was paid that first year. And of that $14 million, six got paid as a signing bonus. And the other $8 million was going to be a salary. So, you know, that, that's actually not a bad... Uh, bad way, I think, to to look at the contracts. You know, where you're splitting that first year cost between prorated money and non-prorated money. Um, now, at least they didn't get into the void years on this deal. But, you know, it's like, okay, you've changed course just within the first couple of days from how you're going to do the contract. But, okay, you know, it's it's only six, uh, $2 million that would be dead money in the third year on this one. No big deal. The next year, at least they don't get into void years, but again, they, they're in cap trouble. So now what do you do? You take $7 million of the contract and you restructure it. And now we've increased our dead money in the third year of the contract to $5.5 million. So we went from zero, then we went to two. Now we're up to 5.5, but okay, you know that, that's not too bad. So at least we can move on. Now you get to 2022 and they make this weird decision like, okay, well, we don't want to release him. We'll figure out a way to get a deal done. 
and we'll throw him an extra 750 as a signing bonus. We'll guarantee the salary, and you know we'll have him on the team. So now you've gone from dead money of zero to two to 5.5, now to 7.5, and you cut him a couple months later after you threw an extra two million bucks on there for no reason whatsoever. Now, if he goes and signs somewhere, which maybe he will, maybe, maybe he even didn't, I missed it, um, you know, they'll get a little bit of recovery on that, uh, you know, but that doesn't come till next year, and that doesn't help you this year where you're in a disaster situation. I, I don't know what caused this release. Um, I haven't really kept up with too much of the news on it. I mean, it sounded like they just wanted to go in a different direction. My assumption would be he thought he was going to play. He also had uh, about $2 million in incentives that he could earn if he played. Uh, I think the incentives started kicking in at 45% playtime. Plus, he had those million dollars in per-game bonuses. The only thing I could think of is with all their cap troubles, maybe they went to him and they said, look, we want to redo your deal again, or you're just not going to get the playing time. Or maybe they knew he wasn't going to get the playing time. And all I could think of was they wanted to take out these per game bonuses. Maybe they wanted to take out some of the incentives. Um, I don't know. But if you just want an example, and again, even though the, the number is not eye popping with the dead money of the 7.5, you know, relative to the size of the contract, that's, that's actually pretty big. Um, you know, for, for them to have to take. But I, I think the important thing is you follow that chain of events and you just kind of come to this really less than ideal outcome. And those are the things that you want to look at sometimes. I, I think when it comes to the management of the cap, um, you know, just how you do that stuff just to uh, to try to get ahead. Um, anyway, other teams that have work to do Rams probably have to make at least one minor move to get under. Now, the Rams are a team that will just flirt with being right up against the cap the whole time. They, they won't make any moves until they uh, absolutely need to. Texans have about a million in cap space, so they, they have more stuff they have to do. Eagles are at 1-2. They probably have to restructure another contract. Chiefs are about 1-6. So they're going to have to restructure. Falcons at 1-7. They might have to do some things. Buccaneers at 2. Lions at 2. Uh, since the Lions already did Decker, I'm going to guess the Lions are just going to be happy sitting at $2 million. Uh, Vikings have about $2 million. You know, the, these are all, all teams that are close enough, I think, to the limit to where they're going to have to decide, do they want to do something or do they just want to stand pat? And if something happens, then they'll go on from there. You know, the, the, the problem when you're within a million of the cap or $2 million of the cap if somebody lands on IR early in the season or you don't have guys you can settle with to get them off your injured reserve, it very quickly adds up on your cap. And, you know, minimum salaries now being $700,000 a player, um, you know, or higher, it, it's a pretty big expense when somebody pops on. Uh, because teams, for the most part, even though the salary cap has gone up significantly over time, and really just the minimum salaries are just kind of keeping up with that. The, the raises of those are so slow. Teams that I don't know have, I don't think they've planned that well for the fact that minimum salaries of young players are getting closer and closer to a million dollars up front. So teams are still kind of going into that 53-man cut date with the typical amounts of um, salary cap space that they would have before that. But your, your salaries have risen pretty significantly um, for numbers 52 and 53. 
And, um, you know, the amount of players that land on IR, I, th- I think, has gone up a little bit, too. Um, so anyway, most teams this year do not have a lot of cap room to carry over to next year. Uh, if you're following along on the salary cap pages, this is usually last week for contract extensions. So, you know, sometimes you, you'll see one that'll drag on into the second week. So I'll start to accrue some carryover estimates um, probably Sunday for the first game. Uh, I'll probably start to carry those over and we'll put some estimates in for 2023 just so you can get a better idea as to where the the teams all stand. But right now, the only team really carrying over something significant is going to be the Browns, who are going to carry over about $39 million. I, I mean, it'll, it'll be less than that by the end of the season, but right now they have about $39 million. Next closest team to that is the Raiders at 16-3. Then you got the Broncos at 16, Cowboys at 14, Panthers at 12. Those are the only teams that are over $10 million in cap space at the moment. Everybody else is way under that. So the carryover to next year it doesn't look like it's going to be very significant um, for a lot of teams. So it's not really going to play that much of a role, except for those couple of teams that right now look like they're probably over the cap. And, you know, that'll be, they'll be helped out a little bit um, by that carryover. So, yeah, there's not too much. You know, last year, let's see last year, how many teams carried over at least 10 Let's see. And these numbers are probably just going to go down unless you get some big extensions. Um, but let's see. Teams that did last year. Over 10. Let's do a search on that. Okay, so you had the Jaguars carrying over 25. The Eagles at 16. Broncos 12. Browns 11. Seahawks 11. So, yeah, I guess in that sense, it's pretty close to normal here. There's more teams, um, even last year, $9 million, $7 million. Um, But again, you know, that was end of the season. This is beginning of the season, um, where for the most part, those numbers are going to go down. Um, unless you have a team with like a big extension that might come up, like a Lamar Jackson or something like that. Um, yeah, so anyway, that, that's where things stand with the salary cap as we, we get into the regular season right now. Uh, the big contract news of the week was Russell Wilson signed an extension. Uh, it, it's a it's a fair deal for for both sides here. I, I didn't know how the numbers would come out, so it's two hundred forty five million dollar extension, of which um, hundred and sixty four I think is guaranteed. Let me pull up his contract here. Russell Wilson guarantee. Where's his guarantee? Sorry, I have the different contract structure up here that I'm usually don't work in. Uh, fully guaranteed 124. Yeah, 165 guaranteed. Uh, new guarantee is 114 million. Uh, it's not all guaranteed at signing, but it's basically guaranteed. That 114 is the number I think that's important to the Broncos because they weren't going to cut him this year, obviously, and they weren't going to cut him next year. So, um, you know, it's that 114 that they're paying. And I, I think it's a pretty significant amount to pay for a quarterback who's going to be 34 years old. And I, I think there's going to be some questions about how he's going to play for the long haul. Um, you know, it, it, this is not a long, long-term contract, obviously. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a solid deal. You know, it, it's not, um, you know, some people probably looked at this as a little disappointing um, I, I don't think some of that is just under any real kind of consideration. Um, 
you know, he'll make 34 extra million dollars over the next two years. He'll make 73 million in new money by 2024. He'll make 110 by 2025. Um, so you're talking about 55 million for those uh, two years. And, you know, that that's a lot, two new years. Now, the Broncos aren't going to look at it that way because they traded for him. They're looking at the running cash on this, which is 57 for this year, 85 over 2, 124 over 3, 161 over 4. So, you know, they're probably looking at it more as the, um, you know, a $40 million kind of extension, uh, which, you know, is understandable as to why they're doing that because they, they did that from, um, you know, when he was, when he, they traded for him. Um, but I, I think they're looking at that 161 as the legitimate contract number. And I, I would guess to, to quote Andrew Brandt here, it's going to be a 161 and then we'll see. Um, reporting on this contract was really all over the place. And I, I don't understand this new thing. And this is teams really taking advantage of a situation where they're getting people to report instead of on the new cash flows, they're, they're reporting the the overall contract number as new money. But when it comes to the actual cash flows, they're reporting these things as the, the running cash, meaning the old money and the new money together. And they're using it because what you're trying to do is draw a distinction against how much money, for the most part, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes made. And it's just not a fair comparison. You're talking about players who had baked in salaries of like $2 million in the first year of their contract. Like you cannot make that type of comparison between a rookie signing an extension who has to honor a deal that's got like 2 million or 4 million in salary in there, plus whatever the option year is, which is probably going to be less than a veteran salary, but not, not always. Um, you know, but you're comparing that to Wilson who had, I don't know, 27 million this year. I think that was, coming his way let's see let's see russell wilson yeah it was something like 27 28 um is what he was getting so you know it, it's just a it's a it's a weird comparison I, I don't understand it it started with Derek carr and you know i can understand if somebody's putting that out there to try to um you know improve the 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 theory on the contract but I don't think it's it's if you're going to report on it, you've got to keep some kind of consistency. Now, there are times when you have to go off consistency, like Deshaun Watson's made no sense to value as a new contract at all. You know, it, it clearly was not negotiated that way. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. But in this case, when when you see that number come in at 245, it's a new money valuation. They're giving you a new money valuation. Don't fall into this trap of being like, oh, well, this is better than this player got over those three years. Look at what Josh Allen, he didn't even get 100 or whatever Josh Allen actually got. It's just, I don't know. It, it just kind of gets to me a little bit because it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, you need to be better than that. Um, I, I think when, you, when you're going to do those things, like it, it, you don't have to, you know, because you got whatever information you got. Josh Allen got ninety-five million over three, one twenty-five over four, uh, in terms of his thing. But you know, he was dealing with an old money number three point five million, twenty-three million in the second year. So again, it's just not a it's just not a fair comparison. Um, anyway, back back to the the Wilson structure here. 
you know, the Wilson structure works out pretty well for him. Um, now, the Broncos did get concessions in the amount of cash that's paid up front on this deal. Like I said, he's going to only make $34 um, million in new money over these next two years that were already existing on his contract. And when you go back to where he was in his prior contract, you know, he, he got a $70 million signing bonus in that one. You know, his new money was like 73 million bucks. Um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, it was 53 in the, the first new year and then it was 73 or 71, um, you know, by the, the end of the first new year on it. The 53 was in the existing year and like 71 or 70, I think it was 71. So you ended up in terms of the, your, your cash outlay in these next two years, um, not giving anywhere near a 70, uh, $50 million raise. And you're basically right on par in that first year. And that's pretty good when you consider the, the way the market's expanded, um, how many years later you are. I think it speaks to the strength of the contract he got in Seattle. Uh, even though there was criticism of that deal, um, you know, but that that kind of that part of the contract kind of remains status quo. Uh, he'll be the leader in the league um, through two years, I believe. Let's uh, let's pull that one up and just make sure he's basically going to be second or third highest paid through pretty much every year on this contract. So uh, He'll be the second highest paid through year one. He's going to make 73. That's second to Dak Prescott, 75. Uh, he'll make 110 over two years. That's actually the, the highest um, salary in the league through two years. Uh, he's at $150 million through three. Uh, next closest player there is, I'm sorry, that, that's behind Aaron Rodgers at 150.8, but well above Kyler Murray, who's at 147.8. Year four, he's at 195 million. That's the most, and 245 is the most because you know his deal runs longer um, than the Rodgers deal. Now, the the question that I have for the Broncos on this is, why didn't you do this deal earlier? You know, it, it's one of those things. Like my thought when Wilson got traded, and people would ask me about the contract, I would say, well, you let it play out for a year, and you see what's going to happen. You follow that exact Matt Stafford model. And when you see Matthew Stafford winning a Super Bowl and coming in at 40 or $41 million a year, um, whatever the number was for him, it's like, okay, that should be what you follow, right? You know, you're talking about a number one overall pick, someone that you gave up a lot of draft capital to acquire. Um, now, Wilson wasn't a number one overall pick, but obviously a pretty highly regarded player. You know, you're talking about someone who's on you know, third or fourth contract in the league. So you're talking about further in, you know, despite what the Rams gave up, the the Rams took a wait and see approach that you see how everything is going to work before you make that bigger commitment, before you do all that. And I thought that made sense here. And I, I don't understand the wait. Now, people started to bring up the, the new ownership and you didn't want to commit before new owners came in. And they needed to get familiar with the cap. I mean, come on. No. You got to do business as usual. You know, it's you made that trade for that player. You have to function. It's not like the Broncos didn't function in free agency. It's not like they signed no extensions. Um, but I, I just don't get it. You know, it's a complete sight unseen contract signing. Um. You know, and it's 
basically $10 million more a year than Matt Stafford. And, you know, I, I don't understand that one. So, I mean, if you compare the two, Stafford won uh, one year new money, 66. So you're paying an extra um, 7 million bucks there. Go from 97 for Stafford through two, you're at 110. 129 at year three, you're at 150. He's at 160 and you're at 195. I mean, that's a, that's a massive gap. Uh, the market obviously did change. Um, in between that time, and it would not have at all if they had done this. Certainly, if they had been negotiating when they made that trade, um, you know, because the Watson deal had not come down at that point. Stafford and Watson got done pretty much at the same time. Uh, Stafford was done right before it, I believe, uh, maybe a day or two, I think. But uh, you know, basically same time. Maybe the Watson thing would have would have changed the game a little bit. Um, but I, I still think you, you would have been able to come under. Uh, it was Kyler Murray getting up a little bit higher that, that brought that number up. So I, I think that that's just a, a little bit of a mistake by Denver. Again, I don't think they're unhappy with the, the deal. I, I think you look at it and you say, okay, this, this is perfectly fine. Um, and again, they're, they're looking at this as a um, $40 million a year contract based on the way they're going to value it. Uh, but the Rams were in the same situation with Stafford. And, you know, you, you, you can run the numbers kind of that way, too, which drives his effective value lower as well. Um, so that, that was my only issue with that. Uh, the guarantee talk on this, it's just gone overboard. Why do we keep harping on fully guaranteed contracts? It is not going to happen. You know, they, there has to be certain types of concessions that are given if you're going to do that. Yeah, I mentioned that with Jackson before. You know, would would he sign a fully guaranteed deal that paid him forty five million dollars a year or forty million dollars a year? I I have no idea if he would or wouldn't. But you know that that's at least a little bit of an out of the box thinking. Um, you know where you get something a little cheaper. You know, let let's say his going price would be fifty five million. What if the um, what if the Ravens now offered him a contract that was forty six million dollars a year, forty six point one million, just to be right over. Um, Deshaun Watson, $46.1 million a year for seven years fully guaranteed. Would you take it? Um, you know, that, that would be the, the largest guarantee ever in the history of the NFL. That would be bigger than Watson's full guarantee. Now, the reason I'm adding those extra years is because that would be the concession that I'd be, I think you'd be asking for as a team. You'd either be asking for that or your cash flows, similar to the Watson deal, which are just straight line, um, may would be a little bit more limited for you as a player uh, compared to getting you know, $80 million in the first year or something like that. Uh, I think that would be kind of an interesting one to bring up. But, you know, the, the leverage just isn't there for it. I mean, there is a point in time when that leverage does exist. And it's after what, however many tags to where you might lose the player. You know, if the Lamar Jackson will have that leverage, if the Ravens can't apply an exclusive tag to him, you know, if they can't do that because of their salary cap, okay, yeah, that would give him some leverage. Because obviously he, he could sign a contract with another team in free agency then. Uh, but if you use the exclusive tag, that, that blocks him from it. But Deshaun Watson was a free agent. I don't, I don't care if he was under contract. He was going and selling his soul. You know, it was doing a deal with the devil, you know, for these teams. But they were, they were all there vying for him. And they found one sucker that was willing to do this crazy contract with him. You know, but he was basically a free agent. It's the same thing when you go back to Kirk Cousins in the fully guaranteed deal. It was a three-year deal. 
So that was a little bit easier for Minnesota to handle as a full guarantee. And, um, you know, he was a free agent. So they, they were bidding against the Jets, if I remember right at the time. That that was the team that was interested. You know, the Browns were bidding against the fact that Watson said, well, I don't want to play here. You know, he, he told them and the Panthers he didn't want to play there and it was going to come down between Atlanta and New Orleans. And then they came back with the, the crazy offer. You know, that that's called being a free agent. You're not a free agent when the only team you can negotiate with is one team. You know, I'm negotiating with the Denver Broncos. You know, if I turn the deal down because it's not fully guaranteed, well, what are they going to say? Well, you go play football then. You don't want to do the deal that we're offering you. Go play football. Play football this year. Play football next year. We'll talk in uh, 2024. Yeah, we'll probably franchise tag you then. Now, if we can fit the exclusive, we'll throw the exclusive. And then, you know what? We'll tag you again in 2025. So you, you're going to wait until 2026. Yeah, it's the same thing with Jackson right now. As long as they have the money to do it, you know, and, it and it's going to be pretty expensive. It's not like it won't be, but it's like if he says, well, I don't want to take the deal you're offering me. Okay, well, then go play football. You know, who, 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 who are you going to go? Who else are you going to go to? You know, it's not like if I go to the Atlanta Falcons, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I really need you to sweeten this contract if you want Deshaun to play here. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, fine. You know what? I'm going to go back to Cleveland. Let me see what Cleveland has to say. Hey, you know, Cleveland just said they're going to give me 46 a year, fully guaranteed over five. What do you got? Enjoy being a Brown. You can't do anything about it. You know, what is Lamar Jackson's leverage to get that contract without giving anything up in return? So, I mean, if you look at the the things here where you're looking at, um, you know, basically you're looking to be the highest paid player in the NFL. And I personally think he shouldn't sign unless they're going to offer him 55 a year, but around $50 million a year, $52 million a year. But I, I don't think you can get both. I don't think you get 52 a year and get the entire contract guaranteed. You might be able to get the entire contract guaranteed if you come in at 46. Maybe, you know, because there's a trade-off there, you know, and, and you throw extra years on it. But you study these things enough to know outliers are just that. You have to look at the situations that occurred to see if stuff is going to translate. Stuff that translates over in contracts or when you start to see ridiculous cash flows um, in stuff because it gives people a tangible number to look at, you know, something to aim for. You know, this Dak Prescott, $75 million over one year. You know, that, that's a high watermark. Now, players haven't been able to beat that. You know, they're coming closer and closer. But it's something tangible because you have other other things that you can negotiate around that deal. And, you know, that kind of becomes a, a point. You know, and there's numbers as they get higher, you know, annual values get higher, the market increases, and you do end up paying up accordingly uh, to, to retain players. But... Little things like that, you know, they, they, they don't really move the needle. You know, Aaron Donald getting $30 million a year doesn't move the needle for other defensive tackles. It gives them a chance to move forward. It's not going to make defensive tackles earn $28 million a year. People are just going to say, look, Aaron Donald's the best player. He's arguably the best interior defensive player in the history of the NFL. Um, and quite frankly, the way he rushes the quarterback, we value him as an edge. And, or the league values him as an edge. So, you know, the day that you start putting up 
15 sacks a season consistently and are constantly pressuring the quarterback and always in the backfield on every play and you're playing 80% of the snaps, you come to me and we'll talk. But until that point in time, you're a different player. So you have to know those things. And when you're talking about Wilson, what do you expect to get a, a fully guaranteed deal on a seven-year contract for a player who's 34? Like, I, I, I get the quarterback thing that players play longer, but, you know, bringing up the examples of Brett Favre and Tom Brady and these handful of guys who are playing into their 40s, the, the majority of players who were really, really good football players basically begin that breakdown at that position probably around the age of 35. So even here, where you're guaranteeing those four years on the contract, you know there's a lot of risk involved in that because you're running that risk that he's going to be one of those players you know, that has that kind of breakdown. So I, I don't understand why why it becomes a thing when we discuss these deals like, oh, it sucks, they didn't get it. And you get agents who are mad about it. It's like, well, then you try to get it. Now it's more that has to work against us. You know, it's like, just, just, it is what it is. You know, maybe he could have taken a shorter term deal that would have been fully guaranteed, but he's probably not getting 55 million per year in that two years. You know, two new years, 110, right? That was what I said. 150 over three. You're probably not getting that if it's fully guaranteed. You know, again, it, it's it's about concessions. You know, what, what becomes fair for both parties? You know, if we're going to guarantee you that third year, we already know there's a, there's a risk that you're going to be cut or traded by that point in time. You know, do you want to play for a salary that year that's $10 million? You know, but that, that, that's the kind of trade-off talk. And it, it just gets completely lost, I think, in the shuffle with this stuff. But you have to know the situations. I mean, a 25, 26-year-old quarterback, it's a completely different ballgame than a guy who's 34. And what you can ask for, what you can expect, and the amount of time you're, you can expect to kind of hold out to try to get that other contract and everything else. Um, so I think his guarantee is perfectly fine. I think when you, you look at the structure of the deal, that's the important thing. And I think you have to be happy that you, at your age, you basically hit a number of metrics in there that are, you know, setting a quarterback market. Yeah, will Aaron Rodgers make more if Aaron Rodgers continues to play? Yeah, you know, because his deal's three years, but I don't, I don't know if he'll continue to play. You know, but you've at least set yourself up to be, you know, 50 million bucks a year. And you, you did something where if you take the Rodgers contract out, out of the equation, he, he's basically the highest paid player on a normal contract um, in the NFL. And if you go back to that generation of quarterbacks, which would have been the 2004 draft class that people always bring up, you know, the Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, when they got to their third contracts and... Yeah, you know, they they were still performing, I think, pretty well 
at that point in time. Um, maybe Eli probably had already shown the signs of uh, more serious decline than the other guys. But when they all got to their third contracts, and it, it probably similar age, I, I would guess, um, you know what, when they had gotten to those, they weren't resetting markets. Roethlisberger maybe came somewhat close on a short ex- on a shorter extension, maybe, but they, they were a couple million under uh, what the, the younger top guys were making at that point in time. So, I mean, th- th- this is a pretty good number um, for Wilson to get at that age. You know, I, I think that's a that's a pretty solid um, figure for him. So, I, I think it's just a it's a fair deal. I think for both groups, and I think people are harping on this guaranteed aspect just way, 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 way too much. Um, you know, so anyway, the the other big quarterback news, of course, is Jimmy Garoppolo staying in San Francisco. Uh, they do a new contract for him that knocks his salary down to $7 million. Um, effectively, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's basically what he would have earned if he had collected that injury guarantee, it's a little bit less than that. Uh, the injury guarantee was seven five. He did apparently not earn his workout bonus um, from the numbers that came out. It sounds as if he did not earn it this year. I'm surprised on that one. Um, you know, it, it was San Francisco. Look, th- this was not a long-term plan by San Francisco. This was not a long-term hope by Garoppolo. This is where you look at the market and you say, look, this is probably the best situation that exists. Um, Lesson learned here, folks, is when you do these contracts, you need to always have some type of money that's due to you in March um, to where you can get yourself released instead of, you know, this kind of dragging on affair. Because this was not fair to him as as a player. You know, I, I get the NFL's business and I get why the teams do these things and I get the strategies behind stuff and everything else. But at the same point in time, you shouldn't be allowed to just basically screw somebody over like that who has no chance at all of making your team, um, you know, unless he takes a, a big bath on the pay. And, um, you know, so I, I I don't like that. If that was If that was me from the outside looking in, you know, 49ers are already a tough team to deal with uh, when it comes to negotiating. I think except for in the, I think the exceptions are when Lynch gets directly involved. I think then it becomes a little bit easier because I think he gets more into trying to get the deals done. But, you know, they're a team that's difficult to deal with in the first place. And, um, you know, when you see that kind of stuff, you just feel like, you know, he's been here for four years. I know that the the results have been mixed you know, you've had two good seasons. You've had two completely injury-prone seasons. Uh, and good seasons, by that I mean team-wise. You know, he's an average kind of quarterback. Um, you know, but you have that, and you would expect some kind of um, some kind of respect for that, I, I think. You know, just something there. You know, if you go back to Kansas City with Alex Smith, and I think there's a lot of comparisons you can make between the two uh, with the exception of the injury history here but I, I think when you you look at Alex Smith's role in Kansas City and obviously they had some success when it came time to go to Patrick Mahomes you know they, they promptly were able to trade him and you get him to a team that's willing to do an extension for him and kind of away you go and here you have a situation where they are literally holding a player hostage um, 
you know, to understandably for the betterment of the team, but you are holding a player hostage and really impacting his career. And, you know, everybody now is going to be all, you know, shaking hands. Everyone loves each other again and everything else. But, you know, it, it would, it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth if I, if I was having to deal with that team. But I, I again, the lesson learned when you do these deals at the beginning, I know you're very happy about getting those contracts done, but when you get to those years where you might be cut, years three, years four, year five of any contract, get yourself a couple million dollars in those roster bonuses that are due sometime in March, dealing on the 49er schedule, April 1st, um, just to force the hand of a team, just to, to force them to, to let you go. Um, because that control could have been there and it just wasn't negotiated into the deal. And, you know, you, you kind of get left here. Uh, a lot of people making um, comments about this and how it's going to affect Trey Lance. It's probably not great for him. Uh, I'm sure he's a little upset about it. You know, you, you have players on that team that if you're not successful, you know, after two, three games, they're going to be calling for Garoppolo to come in. Um, look, if, if you're a quarterback and you can't handle that, you're probably not going to, you're not going to be cut out for playing in these high pressure games in the playoffs. You probably just won't be. Um, you, you have to be really thick skinned if you're a quarterback in the NFL. Um, you, you either have to, you know, be able to shake it off or just be one of these guys that just, you just go with it. You know, Eli Manning, you know, had that kind of attitude. It was just kind of like his, his exterior was this happy go lucky, aw shucks, whatever. But he did play like it with all the criticisms that were coming his way from New York fans, New York media. He was able to to deal with it and never complained, never had a blow up and everything went pretty well for him. So, you know, if Lance can't do that because of the pressure that's coming from having Garoppolo there, uh, he was probably never going to pan out anyway. But I, I can understand where where that's that's tough for you. Uh, and I, I think the other thing that's going to be difficult is assuming the fan base behaves the way that most of the fans here would. One of the things that worries me about it is you do have a pretty injury prone quarterback in Garoppolo. And let's say you made a switch of three or four games and Garoppolo gets hurt two or three games in and you have to go back. That becomes really difficult. And again, you know, you expect those players to, to rise to the occasion, to rise to those challenges um, but at the same time, you're going to have a whole stadium booing that guy when he comes back in. That's just the nature of the beast um, when that happens. Now, maybe San Francisco is different. Um, maybe that it's a little bit more lighter fan base. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't watch enough of the games to get to get a feel for that. I only know from here the way people would react. Um, you know, to, to players coming back in after that kind of stuff would happen. Uh, that it would not be a hero's welcome, let, let's put it that way. Now, I know some people did ask me about his cap number. Why did they throw in these incentives that are likely to be earned? My first thought was they would not do that. Uh, I thought they would have had a, a trigger on there that, you know, would, would just kind of block them from counting on the cap. I think the way they look at it is it's, you know, j just kind of like, just a way of managing it. Um, they, they had a little bit of cap room so they could do it with that. And I think the feeling was, okay, you know, if Garoppolo never plays, no harm, no foul, right? He's got, uh, you know, about $5 million, I think, in um, 
likely to be earned here. Let's see. Jimmy Garoppolo, 5 or 5.5. Um, do I not have it listed? For some reason it's not showing up on his page. That's weird. Let me see. Let me see if I don't have it listed. Oh, look at that. I forgot, I forgot to put that in. Okay, but any, anyway, it's like uh, 5.5 million or so that counts. We have it in the cap number. <laughs> I just uh, We just didn't catch putting it in there um, as another bonus in there. But um, yeah, so it's about that. Uh, so anyway, I think the way they look at it is if he doesn't earn it, it gets carried over to our cap next year anyway, right? So it's the same as if we had cap to carry over. Um, if he does earn it, then at least it doesn't impact us next year to where we have a negative accrual on our cap. And again, while you could look at it the same in both directions, sometimes using your space this way, it prevents you from having to give up more if you did an extension for, say, BOSA, um, or you know, it gives you more reason to not do certain deals right now. Um, so I, I think it's just a way of managing situations to be able to do that. And if they wanted to, they could probably make them uh, not likely to be earned um, at any point in time and, you know, kind of go on from there. Um, let's see, what what else did we have this week that was noteworthy? And you, you had all your cut downs and everything else. Um, you know, we talked kind of about the giant situation there. Uh, I did post a lot of things, and I'll try to do more posts um, on OTC, which is different breakdowns of the team, you know, ages and that kind of stuff. But the, uh, the thing that caught a lot of people this week. I did a uh, homegrown talent evaluation and started looking at the percentage of players. So, you know, just real quick, I mean, you can read about it either on the Twitter feed or you can read the article on it. You know, Cowboys, Ravens, Rams, Colts, Packers uh, wind up at the top of the league um, with players on their own team. Uh, bottom of the league, you've got the Texans at just 37%, Jets at 43 Dolphins at 47, Bears at 48, Raiders at 50, Steelers at 50, uh, 51, um, Cardinals at 52. I mean, it, these aren't good numbers, you know, and, and people get into, oh, we hate this homegrown stuff. Like, you know, you find talent where you find talent, you build your teams. If you go and you look at the performances of NFL teams, teams that typically have about, you know, 60% or so uh, homegrown players do significantly better than the teams that are, you know, free agent built. Um, you know, th th and this is one of the things that irks you with the Jets. You know, you you've got the head coach out there saying, yeah, we're doing it the right way this time. You know, they're, 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 we're all developing all these guys and, you know, our, our roster, it feels different because we're doing it the right way. And I get that they've got a lot of high draft picks. Um, I get that, you know, you get some waiver claims and you bring them in. But it's just a bunch of BS. Like, do you know what you're talking about when you make these statements? Like, it's not hard to go and fact check that the Jets have the most free agent signings on their team in the league. Now, maybe those guys aren't going to contribute as much, you know, but it doesn't take much to, to for goof like me to go and post that the Jets have 43% homegrown players on the roster. Everybody else is coming from the outside somewhere. Street free agents, unrestricted free agents, waiver claims, whatever it might be. 
most of your talent is coming from elsewhere. And the majority of the time, those are your losing teams. Now, I'm not saying the Jets are going to be a losing team this year. Um, but, you know, don't go out there and say that. Maybe you say you're on a path to fixing it. You know, the Bills are the, really the only team that bucked this trend long term. They went years being in that 35 to 45% range as they just were trying to completely revamp that roster. But they caught, you know, lightning in a bottle. And what's that lightning in a bottle is you get that catalyst of a young quarterback. You know, if Josh Allen was Sam Darnold, the Bills would have sucked. You, know, you, you wouldn't have gotten this turnaround. So, you know, the, the bright side for some of these teams that I mentioned here is that the Jets do have a, a Zach Wilson. You know, the Bears do have a Justin Fields. Um, the Steelers have the, you know, they drafted someone this year. Um, Dolphins have a younger quarterback. Texans have Mills. Maybe there's something there. You know, the, the teams I think you worry more about on that kind of list are the Raiders because they're, they're trotting out Derek Carr. Cardinals, you know what you're going to get from Murray at this point in time. So, you know, I, I think you, you look at that and you at least give a little bit of credence to it. Um, you know, the, the other stuff that I looked at, you know, just some things on draft retention rates, um, you know, where you look at where some of these teams are. And again, you got Texans, Jaguars, Raiders, Patriots, Vikings, very low. So you're not getting players in the last couple of years that you're keeping on your team. You know, that that's not a good thing. Um, you know, the other thing that you look at are teams that have a lot of young, high draft picks on a team. Chiefs, Steelers, Bengals, Falcons, Dolphins, you know, are in that category. Uh, overall, a lot of youth, Lions, Rams, Giants, Eagles, Jaguars. You know, that those, those are teams that maybe can jump out a little bit. You know, and then when you, you look on the, the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Bucks at just 55% of their players um, have under, you know, five years of experience in the league. And, you know, you say, well, experience matters. Teams that get younger and younger typically are better and better. You know, the, the Buccaneers are a team that I, I think is on a, a cliff right now. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're at a very high point. And they're going to be a team where it just crashes down when it crashes because they're going to get old very quick. Um, you're going to start seeing guys get really hurt. And I, I do kind of wonder if Brady is all in on this season. Um, it was just weird. You, know, you had this semi-retirement, then comes back. They get the new head coach. Then you know he, he takes a, a break in the middle of camp to go on a family vacation People are talking about marital issues. He's been around for so long. There just comes a time when maybe there's other things on his mind. I, At this point, I don't want to see Brady go through a season where he struggles. I actually hope he doesn't. I don't want to see the, you know, the end of the line season for him. Um, you know, I, I don't want to see that. I just like to see him just walk away when it's time to walk away. Probably don't want to watch him win a Super Bowl and walk away. But uh, I, I don't want to see him just fall apart. Um, you know, and have one of those years, but I'd be a little worried, you know, Saints, uh, 58%, you know, I, I'd definitely be worried there. Uh, Texans, 58, uh, that's worrisome. Patriots, 59, not a good number. You know, the Bills, Bills at uh, 59 as well. You know, and I think with the Bills, what do you see here? The way that I would look at the Bills is I would say this is your year. This is your all-in season. And if you don't win this year, Maybe even if you do win this year, 
you probably have to look at that roster more critically and start saying, all right, you know, we've gotten as much as we can maybe out of our safeties. Um, you know, we look at some of our older players um, you know, on a line or wh- wherever it might be and start saying, you know, we need to start to do a facelift where maybe you're taking a half step back so you can be more competitive in the future. And it's it's exactly what the Chiefs, I think, have done. Um you know, you look at the Chiefs and you look at the changes they've had to make when, you know, they got to a point where you tried to run it back, you didn't win it that second time, but you come to the realization, like, we can't keep bringing all these players out there who are going to get older and older and older. Let's see now how we can replenish. And so you look at them with 73% of their players, um, you know, were, were drafted or signed as a, a UDFA before, um, or no later than 2018. 2018 would have been the earliest they could have come in the league. And you look at them, the amount of players who were drafted in the top three rounds, it makes up 32% of their roster. That's the highest in the NFL. So, you know, that that's a really nice kind of turnaround, I think, for a team. You know, we can argue how good some of the players have been, you know, drafting the running back, for example, but they're giving themselves a nice facelift to try to revamp that lineup and to be better for the long haul, even if it means sacrificing a little something in the short term. And I think that's what the Bills have to do in the future. I think if the Bills don't do this, if we're talking about this next year, especially if the Bills lose in the championship game or something like that, and the Bills are still sitting at, instead of 58, let's say the Bills are down to 52, I'd be I'd be worried I'd be a little bit worried about them because then I, I think you get into a situation where you're sacrificing too much, um, you know, at that point in time. Now, the, the Bills are at 23% in the top three rounds, so at least they do have some draft picks that uh, that are there. Um, you know, they, they haven't really hit in, uh, the undrafted pool. They, they just haven't bothered with it that much. Um, so it, it's not a total loss, I think, but... Still, I, I think you'd rather be filling the depth at this point in time with these younger guys that maybe have potential than older guys who, yeah, they're going to be more seasoned and they're going to be more ready for um, maybe one specific role that you have in mind, but there's no upside there. You know, you, you're not going to catch a star. Um, you're not going to catch someone that really changes the fortunes for the team in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, I, I think that's that's just an interesting thing to look at. But it always sparks a lot of debate when you put that stuff out there on Twitter. Uh, so I do enjoy putting those little things on there. Um, you know, seeing how poorly like the Raiders have done with the draft in the the first round. You know, they they cut Alex Leatherwood this week. They just said forget it. You know, just go from there. I can't believe the Bears claimed him. Stunned. Uh, but regardless, you know, they're a team that had all these first round picks and they're all first round washouts. Um, <laughs> You know, so it, it's just a it's just a um, interesting ways I think to to start to look at the league and start to look at the team and you start to look at trends and I think when you start to look at those thing uh, those things you can start to pick out you know teams maybe that could surprise and that's one of the reasons why I think you, you looked at the Bengals um, as a surprise you know what what helped them well it was a lot of young talent you know if you look there yeah they have a ton of free agents on that team but. One of the things that was the big kick for them was they had a lot of young players, um, you know, that were there. And when you have a lot of young players and those young players do pretty well, you know, that's something. You know, it's one of the hopes, I think, for the Lions. Now, Lions get a lot from UDFAs, but they they have a decent amount that were 
higher draft picks too. But you know, eighty percent of your roster, um, you know, has five years or less experience. So I mean, that that's a good thing, you know, for a rebuilding team. You know, m- maybe that gives you some surprises because you have that. Uh, Giants, I don't expect surprises from, but the Rams, I mean, that that's how they're they're backing up all these veterans on their team. You know, the Eagles, same thing. You've got a high-priced roster, so you're backing them up with these young players. You know, the Colts, you know, that that's a good thing for them, 75, because the, the Colts, Colts are a very mediocre kind of team, and you hope these young guys, you know, carry you over to go from, you know, being that eight, nine-win kind of wild cardish team to being able to win a division. You know, I, I think that's a uh, that's a big thing. Um, you know, the Titans they're they're a team that's probably headed in the wrong direction, but they they have some young guys on that team. But they they're a team that uh, probably um, should have been doing some step backs. Just looking at the numbers here, their top three rounds not a lot, but they they have filled out the rest of their roster. The question is, are they filling it out because they've got guys they like, or are they filling it out because they have no cap room? Yeah, it might be a combination of. Uh, both things there. Uh, all right, let's get on to some questions here. All right, let's uh, let's see. Hopefully, I don't miss any because I know I got some from the other day because I didn't do the podcast last week since we were away. Uh, let's see. This is from Brad. Whatever happened to Dwayne Haskins' contract? He signed his tender, but not listed in any other transactions. Supposed to Watson's fine. He pays. Um, okay, that different question. Uh, Haskins, you know, unfortunately, um, that that basically also means the contract is no longer going to be valid. So he uh, he's not going to be listed, um, you know, as anything. And, um, you know, the, these contracts, if you, you know, pass away or whatever, they're, they're no longer, um, you know, going to be valid. So that, that's, that's what happens there. Uh, I suppose what Watson's fine. He pays the taxes on it. NFL donates to charity. Um, yeah, the NFL donates it to a charity. I believe it's a charity of uh, Watson's choosing. So I would guess that he has the write-off on that. Um, I would think that's how it works, but I'm not 100% sure. I don't really pay that kind of attention to it. Um, but I, I would imagine that's how it works since he's choosing the charity and you know, technically it's a fine. You know, He, he made that money, so I, I think that's um, that's his. Um, this is from David. Let me just see something here. I want to make sure. I don't think I answered this. Um, maybe I did answer this last week. No, I didn't do this one. Okay. Uh, what is your take on the following article regarding how Lamar Jackson should go about contract negotiations, forcing the team to use a franchise tag way to go to franchise QB, but is, um, potentially more, uh, let's see. Um, uh, it's Joel Corey's article. So I didn't read this one. Um, but I think what Joel is saying here in the article, just glancing at the title, um, you know, that he should go the tag route. And yeah, I agree with it. We, we've written about that before. Uh, I probably talked about it a little before. I, I think the strategy is fine. Um, when you do it, the exclusive tag is going to be a really high number. And, you know, his three years basically going to work out to, you know, 55 a year over three. It'll be the biggest contract in the NFL. And then you are a free agent. So you, you've got all kinds of leverage um, if you do play the franchise tag game. Every time you get tagged, you get more leverage towards another contract. And 
that can help you. And so I, I think it'd be beneficial to do it. His style of play would be a little bit more worrisome, I think, than some other players. I'm not worried as much about the injuries, to be honest, because I'm watching guys get hurt and nobody cares. You know, Joe Burrow uh, wrecks his ACL, comes back the next year, they're in the Super Bowl. Nobody talks about it like that's a problem for him when his contract is going to come up. You had um, Dak Prescott, you know, play, what, three games on the tag the one year, and Dallas comes back and gives him a record-setting contract the next year despite the injury. Teams just... At that position, it's not as much. Now, if you get the Teddy Bridgewater thing, yeah, that, that might impact you. But you're talking about like a one in a million chance of that, um, where that can happen. The only thing that would worry me a little bit with him is I think a lot of his game still, it, it's a, a lot of it is designed with the way that he runs. And, you know, you're running an offense that is going to be designed with him to run. If he does begin to lose that, I don't know if that makes him less valuable around the league. I, I think you'd have to see how he plays, um, you know, without having that ability. And the one thing which is unfair to him, the way the Ravens are going to play their their games, you're not going to get that opportunity. And they're also not giving him guys to really pass the ball to. Um, you know, but they're going to call the games the way they do it. But that, that would be the only worry more, I think, that I would see for him doing that. But... You know, I, I think overall, I think that's the best strategy for players. Maybe a little bit less for him, but I, I would not worry about um, about playing on the tag. I, I'd be perfectly fine with that. All right, let's take a look here. All right, let's see. We've got, um, no, that was an email question, emails. Oh, for anyone who uh, told me about some of the issues, well, not the issues, but just some of the transactions we missed, thank you very much. Um, I know I didn't get a chance to reply because everything just gets so ridiculous with all these, uh, all the stuff right now. Um, but thank you and keep sending those in. The, everything is helpful when you see a mistake. Um, all right, let's see. Jeff has a question here. Rumors about uh, more Lamar Jackson. Uh, about Lamar Jackson's contract negotiations indicate that some people think he's holding out for a fully guaranteed contract. People say don't think the offer uh, Ravens would offer it. Um, escrow. Could a contract be written in a way that it would only become fully guaranteed after a Super Bowl win? Jackson receiving some sort of um, severe injury after a win like that can make it more difficult to afford a competitive team for the remainder of the contract, but at least they would have the Super Bowl show for it. Um how would it be determined if they would need to put the money in escrow? I'm guessing their odds of Ravens winning a Super Bowl would be less than 50%. So yeah, you, you can you can trigger guarantees from anything. So Garoppolo had injury protection that showed up because he played in a Super Bowl, if I remember correctly. Uh, he got a seven uh, $7.5 million injury guarantees that were added into his contract on the back end because he played in a Super Bowl. So you can have guarantees that trigger because of anything. You know, It would be the same style of mechanism when you have a guarantee that just triggers by being on the roster on a certain date. Uh, you, you'd have a guarantee that triggers based on winning a Super Bowl, the same way an escalator could get triggered by winning a Super Bowl, the same way an incentive would be triggered by winning a Super Bowl. Um, you know, you, you can you can have those kind of things that, that come up. Uh, in terms of, you know, uh, trying to field a more competitive team, generally the way you structure these contracts still make it very difficult to move on from the players. What you do in these situations, especially if you're very worried about an injury, um, 
But what you do, and we've seen it more and more now, it, it, there, there was this used to happen all the time, and then there was a big pullback, and now it's happening a lot again. Uh, teams take out insurance policies on these players, and you know the premiums, I'm sure, are very high on them. But uh, you will basically get salary cap credits if the players get hurt. So generally what happens is what used to happen at least is teams would insure the signing bonus or a large portion of the signing bonus and that money would get credited back onto the contract if you collected from the insurance company because the player missed games because of injury um nowadays because the guarantees are bigger um what they do is they guarantee portions of the signing bonus. I'm sorry, insure portions of the signing bonuses, but you're also doing insurances on the the paragraph five salaries and the roster bonuses of the players. And those, if you get paid out on it, you get big credits on the cap. Typically they would come the next year so that there is a delay, um, but you are getting credited because you are collecting money from the insurance to pay you back um, on those contracts. So, that's really what teams are doing and that that is where the that's where the savings come from if you do get a player who gets a catastrophic injury uh as long as you had insurance on that contract um you know and that the whatever the injury is is covered by that policy you know that that's that's something that you can use to to help you out with mitigating some of the costs that would be associated with a, a player getting hurt um let's see sd had a question here i think this is for the podcast i uh, love the site and the podcast even though browns are testing my nfl fandom on a daily basis uh question one are franchise tag amounts listed on the site not uh, exclusive or non-exclusive so they are estimates for exclusive i keep a second set of estimates that is probably a little bit more accurate than what we have on the site i haven't updated them for this year i'll try to do that maybe i'll, I'll talk with nick if i can just put them in there um you know, instead they, they change the formulas a little bit again. And, uh, you know, so I would just do that, but they, they are the, um, non-exclusive numbers that are there. Question two, would it be possible to get both franchise tags added to the main page? Uh, again, I could talk to Nick about it. The thing is the exclusive tag other than for a quarterback only comes into play if it's the same number as the non-exclusive tag or about the same number. Um, you know, basically uh, what we do with that is you will, um, you know, teams will put the the exclusive tag on someone because let's say the, the cost to tag an edge rusher is 23. You can completely block them from free agency for 23.5. All right, I'll, I'll throw the extra 500,000 in there. But if the exclusive tag is like 30, you know, then you're never going to do that, you know, when the, when the regular tag is like 18. It's only the quarterbacks because those are the players that they're, they're worried about losing in free agency. Um, you know, if you ever want to do a quick estimate, and I understand it's a little bit of work. And again, I'll talk with Nick about it. Um, all you have to do is go to the position pages and look at the cap hits for 2023. And it's just the average of the top five players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you pull out workout bonuses and stuff. But if you just want a rough estimate, that's really all you need. Um you know, just take those top five cap hits and average them out. A little bit of work to do the offensive line and everything else. But, uh, you know, that that can at least give you an idea. Um, but with every new contract, every restructure, those numbers can change a little bit. But I'll, I'll see maybe if we can do something with that. Uh, let's see. No, that's something else. Uh, we've got... 
Dave has a question here from email. Uh, how do you make sense of the Cowboys offseason? Coming off a 12-win season, they've let a lot of talent walk without really bringing any talent in. Seems like a weird way to operate when you have a franchise quarterback in his 29th, uh, age 29 season to take a step back on purpose. Uh, looking at his cap number the next two seasons, um, they're going to have to pay him again. How detrimental, uh, failing to lock up Dak long-term. It, it was a bad, it, it ended up being bad for them. Uh, the market went much higher than I ever would have anticipated it. Then they got caught in not being able to do a longer-term extension. They, they did the four when you, you've seen contracts have moved into these longer-term deals. So you only got them for four. Um, it, it, it does hurt them. But I, I think the thing that hurts Dallas is they've gone in these different extreme dire- extreme directions. Um, you've seen them in the past where they used to utilize free agency a little bit and maybe some of those things didn't work out. Now they've gone to the Packers model, which didn't really work either, that you never like go and sign free agents. And you know you have to add some talent from the outside. Yes, and what I talked about before, it is important to develop players from within. And that's the backbone of your team. That's how you survive in the NFL. You know, if you want to get 60 to 65% of your roster homegrown, maybe even 70%, that's where you want to be. But it's not always going to be perfect. You need those other players to come from the outside. So being at 80% where they are, and maybe it's a forced 80%, um, you know, that's that's not really a good thing. Um, you know, that that's probably not taking on enough risk to where... You know, you, you might be impacting yourself long term because you're just refusing to take any risk coming from the outside, you know, or anything more than like a minimum salary veteran or something like that. So I think for Dallas, I, I think that's kind of an issue. And I think that Jerry is still a little too into the whole concept of, you know, you get some star players that you draft and especially if they're like skill players, you're going to keep them, Right. And while the contract's not crazy for Gallup, I mean, he's not even going to start this season. Um, you know, he's not healthy enough. So already, now you're questioning that. You know, so you've got Lamb, and I think Noah Brown is probably going to be your number two. Um, you know, you've seen some extensions with tight ends, and that's gone nowhere. Guys have gotten hurt. Yeah, which is unfortunate. You know, that, that that's a bad side effect of it. Um you know, but you've got the Ezekiel Elliott contract. You have their contract they did for the linebacker. And it's not a skill position, really. But, you know, it, it's like he just falls in love with certain guys. And you keep going back on this Elliott thing, like just beating it to the ground. You know, he's not effective. You know, just give up on it. And I understand you can't because of the contract. But don't let the contract screw your team over. Like, You've, you've got to go into a full split with him. Maybe he doesn't even get as many carries. Maybe you just find a role for him to play. Um, you know, but I, I think that's a big difference. You know, when you talk about the Rams, and now the Rams take a lot of risks with some of the stuff they do. But you can see differences in philosophies. The Rams screwed up. They admitted it. We screwed up with Jared Goff. We screwed up with Todd Gurley. We screwed up with... Um, Ogletree, we screwed up with Brockers, we, we screwed up, you know what, we screwed up, get them off the team, don't waste any time, you know, and then it's like, well, and we know we need a quarterback, we're going to figure out whatever we can do to try to get a quarterback, 
You know, we need a receiver. Well, we'll do what we can to bring in a receiver. We need this position. We'll do what we can to bring that in. We need a corner. Well, let's see what young player we can trade for. We're going to have to give up a lot for him, but let's see what we can do there. And we're going to look at this as a eight-year investment in a player or a seven-year investment in a player. You know, now maybe they're not looking at it as seven. You're probably not going to get to seven years, but we're going to look at it as five-year investment. I don't care what this new money says. It's five-year investment from day one for us. That's our budget with it. And Dallas, I, I don't think, is doing that. I'm not saying you got to go to that extreme and you're not going to catch lightning in a bottle the way that the um, Rams maybe did. But you, know, you, you, you have to take some chances and I think they just don't do it. And when you see him sitting there with 16 million in cap room or 12 million, whatever the number is, it's it's almost like you look at it as a waste. Now, I know part of the reason they have it is because they need to offset Dak's massive hit next year because if you they, you probably don't want to restructure him again. All you're doing is giving the, the agents way, way, way more leverage when you do that um, because you get to that Romo situation where you, you can't let a deal void. You can't let the player leave. So... You know, you, you kind of get screwed over and you're going to get walked into a $58 million a year contract extension. So, yeah, I, I think that they're, they're, they need to take a look at what some other teams are doing and probably try to follow a little bit more of that model than just completely going this old school Packers, Bengals, maybe Vikings fall into that category way. Um, but even the Vikings, you know, would sign a couple of guys. You know, it, you just feel like they're not doing that. All right, Michael has a question. Can you explain what the Eagles did with Fletcher Cox and why it was beneficial to do it? Uh, there's a video I have on, uh, I think I have a video on that one out there. Uh, if you go to YouTube and you look up over the cap or something, maybe it'll show up. Uh, I might have it linked in his page. I'm not even sure. Uh, basically, I, I'm not exactly sure how beneficial it was, but you know, they, they got about a $2 million break on his salary. And what they did was... Um, they didn't have time to finalize that deal just to, to restructure the contract, but they had built his contract the the pre, uh, prior year with a restructure to where they'd have the ability to June 1 him. So really all it did is it kept the same prorated money in place anyway, and his new contract took over. So essentially it kind of worked the same way. So yeah, we took a little bit of a pay cut, and they're going to get to now... Um, basically pay for those costs in 2022, 2023, and 2024, rather than the way his contract was originally, which would have had them taking on all the costs in 2022. So it, it, it was just a, it was a really nice way that they, they handled, I think, accounting, um, you know, for his contract to be able to spread the cap hits out over three years instead of one or two. The Eagles are doing a really great job with, um, how they're how they're taking these huge dead money costs that they have or could potentially have, and finding ways to mitigate it um, by spreading those hits out over multiple seasons uh, through some really creative uh, contract maneuvering. All right, let's go to Twitter. Okay, football and crab cakes. Has the media been able to convince the masses that Jimmy G was better off not getting released? Um, being able to re-sign anywhere and from scratch or take a pay cut, a demotion, become beholden to the team that abused me and give them the power to trade. Freedom sounds way better. Yeah, I, I mean, if you heard me talk about that before, 
Um, absolutely. You know, again, this was a situation where um, I understand why the 49ers did it. You know, they're trying to protect themselves and, you know, maximize their roster. And it's the right way to run a team. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. Um, but I, I do think you worry sometimes about the long-term consequences of maybe doing something. But you want to get something for the player. And at least this this way, you know, he will be in the compensatory pool next year. You're not going to get a three, but maybe you get a five. And you probably weren't going to get a five for him. Otherwise, you know, if you see Baker Mayfield going for a five, um, you know, where you're paying the majority of the salary for him, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to net you much anything in a trade talk. I don't care what they were talking about about earlier in the season, teams that were interested in him. Maybe there were. But if there were teams that you believe were going to be willing to take on his salary at 23 or 28 million or whatever it was this year, um, then you would say to yourself, well, at least by doing this, we get a three. So we're paying him the $7 million salary for a three. And the effective cost is really going to be more than seven, even if he doesn't play because you did sign um, Sudfeld, I think it was, uh, to a $2 million guarantee. Now, again, some of that cost, I believe, will get offset, but I think it was a $2 million guarantee for him and you cut him. So let's call it an $8 million investment in, in Garoppolo is probably more what this contract is. And with that, you're going to buy yourself, hopefully, a draft pick through the comp process, um, you know, while getting yourself the best injury protection that you possibly can or just complete you know, he plays like crap protection for Trey Lance, uh, you know, by having a backup who was a starter last year and a starter for a team that went to the uh, championship game. But uh, yeah, no, Garoppolo's best course of action would have either been to either to have been traded uh, or to have signed in free agency. Um, I know they said that the, the surgery that he opted for is what cut off trade talks. And again, I, I have a hard time really completely following that only because, again, you go back to players who have been hurt at that position, they get signed. And, you know, if there was, if you want this guy to start for you, um, unless you are being told to give, unless you are having the ability to give him a physical and you're basically failing him on the physical or you, you've got major concerns, you know, the if he's going for surgery, major concerns as to what the, uh, the this process is. Um, you know, I, I, I can't see why that would really impact you. So if they if they truly had trade offers on the table, well, then they're looking at this as buying a three. But I, I think more likely it's buying an insurance policy and buying yourself a draft pick, possibly in, in the comp process. But uh, absolutely would have been better off being released in March and having the ability to sell himself to the highest bidder, you know, I don't think, um, you know, he would have gotten anywhere. But, uh, yeah, I I think that would have been the thing. Uh, how does this affect LeBron's legacy? I have no idea what that question is in reference to. Um, let's see. This is a whole, uh, I think this is part of it. Red? No. Okay, here's another one from Football and Crab Cakes. If a player becomes a backup like Jimmy G's become, would the uh, arbitrator treat his depth chart move as an exception to the LTBE incentives rule? Has this ever happened? Why treat his incentives in, as LTBE if he's now the backup? No, th this is in the CBA. So in the CBA, everything is based on your performance and or the team performance from the prior year. 
it doesn't matter if you actually have a, a chance to earn them or not. They will always count as likely to be earned. This is actually what brought forward the the cap carryover rule, um, because you can because incentives, regardless of if they're really going to be earned or not, um, are treated as likely to be earned. What teams used to do at the end of the season was they would give players incentives that had no possibility of being earned. All right, they they no chance uh, that they could be earned. You know, it would be a a backup safety would get a 14 million dollar bonus if he had five interceptions in the season now you're doing this in week 16 you know uh, or game 16 at the time you know last week of the season so unless he has a game where he gets five interceptions you know and he's someone who probably has hardly even played during the year uh, obviously he's not going to earn that 14 million dollars but because of the rules that exist, which is if you give somebody an in-season incentive, um, it automatically counts on the cap. Teams would do that to get it to count on the cap, and then they would get a credit for it the following year, and it acted as a carryover. Finally, the NFL got rid of the middleman because there were enough teams doing that, probably about 10 teams or so, um, that were maxing out their carryover that way every year to where in the 2011 CBA, they just put in the carryover provision um, to allow teams to do it. Uh, that's why it's optional. I'm not sure if now it's optional. Now it might just be automatic. Um, actually, no, I think it's still technically optional, but that's why it's optional because obviously not every team is doing it. Um, but for the carryover stuff, I think every team has done it. They just didn't want to go through the process of doing the paperwork, um, before. Um, but this one they're willing to do. Uh, let's see. Black gold. How bad was the Mosley restructure? Basically guarantees a 31-year-old faded linebacker 2023. Could have extended fan or restructured Lawson. Seems like Douglas left a lot of meat on the bone, letting seven NFL players go for free. Heard there were calls, but he couldn't make a deal. Um, Mosley restructure is not a big deal. Um, you know, all it's doing, again, you're moving money from one year to the next. I wouldn't have restructured Lawson. I'd probably be more bullish on Mosley being on the team next year than Lawson. Lawson is either going to be great or Lawson's going to be gone. Uh, and he was hurt all last year, so we have no idea what that's going to be. You know, is he going to put forward something that would be the the equivalent of like a 15 sack season? You might not get 15 sacks, but you know, you produce that that kind of impact on pressures to where you know in a normal year you'd say, well, yeah, that, that's probably worth like 15 sacks or something like that. Um, you know, is is he going to put forth that kind of season, or is he going to be like a five sack guy that just kind of you know is out there? Um, so I, I actually think that I, I'd rather move on the Mosley deal than throw in void years on the Lawson deal. Um, you know, Mosley, because of that age as well, you know, you, you look at his, let's see what his cap number is next year. Uh, let me just pull it up and see. CJ Mosley. You know, the Jets added uh, $3 million per year in cap charges. So his number is going to go up to $22 million next year, 21476 But again, you're talking about a 31-year-old linebacker. Depending on how he plays, you very well might be able to go to him next year and say, look, we can't pay $17 million, uh, but we can pay you $10 million. And, you know, you effectively kind of bring that cap cost down then to where it was before, um, you know, or even lower without really going through that, you know, or maybe you'd say that we can we can do a new deal with you for three years for, say, $10 million a year instead of your 17 that you're scheduled the next two. You know, there's different things that you can do to manipulate that contract. So I, I don't think that one is um, really a bad decision. But at worst, all it's doing is just um, 
you know, pushing your stuff to next year because the Jets had no cap room. They, they had no choice. They had to do it. Uh, as for Douglas leaving a lot of meat on the bone, um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. You're talking about players who are basically waiver claims. Um, you know, could you have gotten late draft picks for some of the players? I mean, maybe you could have. I don't think the Jets value late draft picks. Uh, if you look at the construction of the Jets team, the Jets very clearly, and, you know, you just look in free agency where they're giving a guy like a Jared Davis, like $5 million. I mean, he's a practice squad guy. Um, you know, you are, there's a lot of teams that operate this way. You get blinded by the draft grade and you think you're going to fix that player. And, you know, I, I think that Douglas does tend to to push that way. You know, you like that trade up because you like those guys in the first round. You know, you like those first round picks. You like that trade up because, you know, you want to get a little higher in the second round. That's almost like getting a first rounder. That's kind of what the Jets are looking to do. Um, and so I don't think those late picks he looks at as that valuable unless they are, um, you know, something that you're going to be able to use to package to move up. And, you know, seventh round picks probably aren't going to really help you move up. You know, if you have three seventh round picks, probably not going to help you move up. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's more of kind of what the issue was. The other thing, too, you know, when, when you look at these deals, you know, let, let's talk about Denzel Mims, who just made a silly thing demanding a trade. But, hey, you know what? Good for him. You know, he, he controlled that news cycle. And quite honestly, it was one of those things where if he got cut, it was going to be like, well, yeah, he got cut because he demanded a trade and the Jets didn't want to deal with him. And if he gets traded, well, you might be able to say if you're his agent, see, we got you traded. All that stuff is going to happen anyway. I think what you don't want to have happen is if you start to take bad trades, it starts to reflect badly on you. You know, Joe Douglas, for whatever faults there might be, has been a great trader. And you don't want to start making deals that look crappy. You know, if his feeling is that Denzel Mims is a second-round talent, he deserves a second-round pick or a third-round pick, he doesn't ever want to get into another situation where he has a, a decent second-round talent and someone comes back and says, look, the last time you, you traded a second-round guy, you took a six. You know, we'll offer you a five or, you know, something like that. So maybe you're just trying not to set... Um, you know, set a stage where something works against you. Like the Browns, when they, they move Baker Mayfield... I think that's a negative for them, that you got nothing in return and you paid the contract. Now, you're going to try to sell that as a bad situation, but if you have a player who is a underperforming first-round pick who's still a decent player, um, you know that's going to work against you in the future because you know now if I'm on the Cleveland Browns and I'm not happy, I know I'm just going to go and make a stink about it and maybe they don't have the, the, the ability to deal with it and maybe I can make enough noise to where... You know, I'm just going to get to go wherever and I don't care what they get in return for me, you know, but I'll get a fresh start. And I, I think that it just sets a bad precedent. So may, maybe, maybe that's something with the thinking there as well. Ty, how do the Bucks move forward with the Mike Evans extension? Um, good question. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be looking for 24, 25 a year. Uh, that one's been a great contract for them. I don't know what you do. And like I said, it's an older team. I mean, at some point you, you have to, to move move on. Um, 
is that the player you want to move on from? I, I don't know, but if Brady is going to leave, and I, I think at that this point you would have to be more thinking he's going to leave than stick, you know, than stick around. You've already got a lot of money in um, Godwin. You know, do do you want to have these two receivers that are getting a lot of money? You know, this is like a Seattle scenario, and your your quarterback is Geno Smith and Drew Locke. You know, maybe at the at that point, you know, you, you get somewhere to where it becomes better to say, well, you know what, Mike Evans had a great career here. Why don't we work with him on finding another place for him to go to, and let's see if we can get a one for him. Let's see if we can get it too. You know that that's a win-win for everyone. You know he gets his new contract in a destination he wants to go to, and we're going to get something in return to where maybe we can find ourselves our quarterback of the future. Um, so I I think you know the Buccaneers have to um, you know think a little long term here with some of the moves they do. Um, and I, I'm not saying they will or they won't, but. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure how you approach some of these deals from that standpoint. From a cap standpoint, I mean that that that's different. You know, the Bucks need cap room, and um, you know, if they wanted to extend Evans, I guess now let's see what is his cap number. Let's see, Mike Evans, what is his cap? Because he probably already restructured this year. You know, he's down at the minimum, so you're not going to get anything there. Um, you know, next year, that's the last year of his contract, right? Yeah, so he's got a 24 cap hit. So you, you'd you reduce that in an extension, you know, if you did that. But, you know, again, it, it's just a question as to what you want to do. Um, I, and I, I guess you just wait for the Brady decision um, and obviously how things go this year. But that's a piece, I think, that you can utilize to, to improve your team in the future. And at that point, Probably is the better way to do it. Uh, Chris, if you're running the Giants, what's the best route to get through this year and maintain cap health for next year? Uh, I mean, you're, you're just dealing with absolute garbage this year. Um, you know, I, I think you are just hoping that somehow your quarterback situation works out okay enough to where you are somewhat competitive. I know you want to draft a quarterback next year. And, you know, maybe your best course of action is to be as bad as humanly possible to make sure you get whatever player you want. But I think you have to build some goodwill with your fans, um, you know, and I, I think you need to be competitive. You don't want to look inept as a front office. You don't want to look inept as a coaching staff um, where even though most of the stuff is going to get blamed on Gettleman, uh, I, I think you just you want to look competent um, with what you do. But. You know, I, I think really what you do now is you restructure that Leonard Williams deal, see what you can do with Galladay. You know, I'm following the Eagles model when I work with Galladay here. You know, I, basically I want to say that you know you're not going to be here next year. You know, we'll give you some type of injury protection to cover your same injury protection you have now, but I want your contract to be a minimum salary next year so we can June 1 you. Um, you know, that that's what you're doing. That That's the kind of stuff you are negotiating, you know, if you can't trade him. You know, that's what you need to do, um, you know, and you just got to manage as best you can through this. You know, uh, if you have veterans on the team, if you have a, a, a Barkley even, you know, if you can get someone to take him, you know, later in the season, everybody should be for sale. Even if you paid them bonuses, you know, if someone is willing, the way that you got suckered into trading for Leonard Williams, 
um, you know, with the Jets, you know, if you find a team that's willing to give you, let's say, a second round pick for him halfway through the season, I don't care if I already paid all the salary. There's probably more value in that than dealing with whatever next year. Um, you know, I'd have to look fully at the numbers, but that's the way I think you, you have to approach it. Everybody is for sale during the season and just, you know, be as best you can. Uh, Zach's question, what would a Laramie Tunsil extension look like? Uh, pretty big. <laughs> um, you know, he, he set the market on his last one. So obviously he's going to look to to do the same here. Uh, I would imagine his asking price. Um, you know, if you look at the way your edge rushers have gone up, you know, your edges are up to uh, close to 30. You know, Donald's at 30. Um you know, 32, if you throw him in there, you have TJ Watt at 28, Bosa's at 27, um, you know, Garrett's at 25. And I'm looking at left tackles, and I'm seeing left tackles at 23. Um, yeah, 23 and 22. You know, I'm looking to close that gap. So, you know, when he signed at 22, um, your top pass rushers... At that point in time, he probably signed before Bosa. I don't remember if he signed before Garrett. Let me let's take a look here. Let's let's take a look at these dates here. Tunsil's extension, which was a hell of a deal for him. Let's see, what was the date on signing? Yeah, so he signed before those two big pass rushers signed. So he was before Bosa, before Garrett. So you had top of the market edge rusher was 23.5 and you know he came in at 23 prior to that um let me see what top of the market left tackle was i don't know if there's anybody still on the books probably not um i'd have to go back and recreate some cap tables maybe let's see um let me see if I can just pull up some players here. I'm going to say Catalyst might have been the solder contract with the Giants. Um, let me see if I can pull that one up. Let's see. Computer acting buggy. That's what you get for not being usual stuff. Uh, let's see. Okay, so he was at 15.5 in 2018. And then you had your rushers that year. Rushers back then. So rushers back then were probably going to be about 20. I, I would say is where, um, where that was. And so I think... I'm just looking at where these gaps are here. And the way they closed and the, the way that, you know, basically as the left tackle gets close, you start to see a positional change. So I, I think if you look at the edge rushers and you assume that they're going to be at 30, I think the number that you're looking for if you're Tunsil is probably going to be to get to around, I think your target is going to be like 26, um, you know, just under Bosa and Watt. But, uh, you know, maybe 25 is what you would settle for. But I, I think I think you want to be close to those top two pass rushers, especially because Donald jumped into the 30s. 
So you have to assume that you're going to get your first $30 million a year pass rusher. So you need to be within a, a couple of million of that, I think, to have your markets kind of in balance, your positions in balance, the way they typically kind of run. Uh, again, you're not going to get paid more than the pass rushers, but you, you need to be somewhere in that ballpark. So I, I think when you go back and you look at when the gap has kind of gotten close, um, you know, that that's when the numbers jump. Like you, you, you peg, uh, you know, Tunsil right around what Mac was getting, and then the market jumps along with that, and I, I, you know the edge market. And I think you have the same situation here. I think once he gets, if he can get around twenty-seven, that probably pushes your next level of edge rushers up beyond thirty, which is where they're going to go anyway. So I, I think that would probably be the the kind of number I think that I'd be aiming for. Um, I kind of think that that's where it would go, uh, and I think that's what he'd be looking to do. Uh, ben says, what teams do you think might still sign free agents before the start of the season? Oh, I have no idea, other than Dallas is going to sign Peters. Um, you know, you, you just you just look. I mean, every team is always making moves, but you just follow if there's some injuries. You know, the Bucks probably need some linemen. Um, yeah, stuff like that is what you look at. Uh, but a lot of practice squad movement, probably. Chris, Chiefs Outsider, would love to see you outline what teams are in win-now mode and which teams have navigated the cap well enough right now to have larger windows. So, all right, so that's something that probably we need to spend, um, you know, a lot more time on. But um, I think when you look at teams that are in, like, a kind of a win-now mode, I, I think the Titans are a team that's in a win-now mode. I, I don't think that they're necessarily their roster reflects that but I think that's clearly a team that's in win now mode I think this is a really important year for the Chargers now I'm not saying that they've put all their eggs in this season I just think this is an important year for them I think for the Panthers this is a win now I think the Browns the Buccaneers and the Saints are clearly in a win now mode um, I think those are the teams that you look at and you say okay this is a win now um, you know I think if you if you look at teams that are expected to compete this year that have a longer window. I mean, the Bengals, I think, have a bit of a longer window. I think the Colts, um, you know, are in that situation. 49ers are somewhat in the middle. Uh, Chiefs probably have a little bit of a longer window now. I think they, they've opened that up. Um, you know, but you'd have to, to look a little bit closer at it. But I, I think when you look at teams that are tight on the cap this year, tighter on the cap this year, and also not in a great shape next year, Titans, Saints, um, you know, it, it's just too much invested probably in this season based on what the return is expected to be. The Vikings, um, you know, would be that kind of team. Uh, Bills, a little bit of a different argument there, and the the quarterback's going to trump everything with that team, but... Um, you know, that's a thing. But yeah, definitely the Buccaneers. Um, you know, they, they, these are teams that were fighting just to comply with the cap this year. And then, you know, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, it is what it is next year. And we'll be like the Saints this year with a $128 million in contract restructures just to uh, comply with the cap. Flip. Uh, top five worst quarterback cap numbers for 2022. Top five best quarterback. Uh, cap numbers for 2022 if you don't use rookie deals. Um, 
let's see. So if we're looking at cap numbers, that's a different one. Let's take a look at quarterback and looking at cap numbers for 2022. Um, worst cap number. So, all right. So the worst cap number is Ryan Tannehill at 38, uh, 38.6. But in terms of their long term, it was probably a smart thing, I, I guess, to, you know, not... Uh, not did they bring that low? I, I don't think they did. They restructure him. Let me let me make sure before I say that. Let me let me see if they restructured him this year. I don't remember off the top of my head if they did or didn't. Yeah, no, they didn't. So that's actually in their long term best interest. But in terms of if I'm just looking at these teams and I'm just saying, okay, I saw cap numbers. Ryan Tannehill at thirty eight six. Um, Jared Goff at 31-2, Kirk Cousins at 31-5, Carson Wentz at 28-3, Sam Darnold at 18-9. Sam Darnold's probably the worst one because he's not going to play. Um, so if I'm looking purely at cap numbers, I think that's an easy worst five. Uh, Darnold at 18-9, uh, Tannehill at 38-6, um, Goff at 31-2, Wentz, um, 28-3, and uh, Cousins at 31-5. I think that might be the order that I would rank them in. Maybe Goff is worse than Tannehill. Um, but you, you can judge the decisions. Like, Wentz, to me, was a bad decision. Uh, Sam Darnold is clearly a bad decision, but they're stuck. Kirk Cousins, probably not a great decision. Tannehill at 38-6 is probably a good decision, um, you know, for their longer term. You know, Goff is what it is. Uh, as for the best cap numbers, um, and again, we're, we're just looking at cap hits. Uh, I mean, Mayfield, if you don't want to consider him a rookie, uh, you know, Mayfield at 4-9 is, I think, really good. Um, man, I can't say anything positive about the Seahawks players there. Uh, I mean, Deshaun Watson at 10 is a good number. It's just sucky situation. Uh, Kyler Murray at 13 is a good number. Stafford at 13-5. Um, you know, even eh, Garoppolo, iffy. You know, Josh Allen at 16-4. That's a really strong number. Um, you know, Matt Ryan at 18-7. You know, the, the, those are all, you know, Decent numbers, but you, you know you just have to look at them in context of where the other numbers are going to go. You know Ryan is fine at that. Allen obviously his cap numbers are going to get a lot bigger later on. Same goes for Stafford. Same goes for Murray. Um, you know, like Brady at twelve is perfectly fine, but you know the, you've got all this void money that's going to hit with him at some point. So it, it's really hard to to go through those and just say, well, it's a good cap number, simply because you're trying to evaluate that whole situation. Uh, Captain Buccaneer, how did teams lose cap space on the cutdown, specifically Detroit? Well, uh, when you have the cutdown date, um, you know you, you begin to, to change the accounting rules, even though they're not officially changed until this uh, Wednesday or so or Tuesday. Um, but you know you're expanding from 51 to 53, so you're losing at least 1.4 million just on that. You're adding your practice squad players, where you're losing three to four million on that. 
all your players on IR now count on the salary cap. That could be a couple million that go down there. So that that's really why. The other reason is that I don't count the bonuses in the offseason for players outside of top 51. Technically, they do. So as those players become dead money, um, you know, those little hits, you know, $100,000 here and there, uh, we'll count on the cap. And I, I don't do that during the uh, uh, the calculations during the season. Deadstroke, uh, can you run through how IR works? From IR waived, injury settlement, reverting back to IR, and how each segment affects the cap this year, or reconciling next year? Uh, it, it's not really a um, not really a, a big thing. I mean, basically, you just get put on IR, and there's a process where if for younger players, you have to get exposed first to waivers in most cases, and then you revert to your wave with an injury designation. It just gives every team around the league the ability to claim you, even though you're probably going to fail physical. Um, you know, you, you could try to get rid of your obligation to the player that way. If he's got a salary guarantee, um, you know, or whatever you have to do to take care of his injury, maybe someone will claim him. Almost nobody ever does. Uh, the one time it happened was the Patriots um, claimed a player of the Giants in the offseason. I can't remember who that was, and Giants were pissed. Is Ballard? It's tight end. Um, you know, and the Giants are pissed because it, it was not it was accepted practice that basically you you waive your guys injured and you don't claim them. Um, injury settlements are just that you are paying somebody to go away. You you don't have an obligation to that player anymore. Um, you know, you're paying him three weeks of salary. You're saying we think you're going to be hurt for three weeks, and we're going to pay you three weeks of salary. Shake hands, and we're off. Um, so that that's really what th- those are. In terms of how they impact the cap, everything impacts the cap. So if you're on IR, you have a cap hit. Um, now, if you have a split salary, your salary cap hit might drop from 705 this year uh, to 430,000, but it's still going to count at 430. It's going to count on the cap until you are released, until you're healthy enough to be cut uh, or returned to the roster, um, as some players will if they they were put on IR. Um, during the season, but you know, wave with an injury settlement or waived um, injured. All that means is you're going to put the guy on IR, but you're giving other players a chance, uh, other teams a chance to claim him. So it's not really that the, the player is being waived off the team; he's just being waived onto IR, and it's just a procedural thing um, that teams do. Jay says, can you talk about the Giants' options to get under the cap and create room to make it through the season other than Slayton and Leonard Williams? Uh, I kind of talked about that before, but, I mean, it would be uh, Galladay's contract and adding void years to Saquon Barkley. And you know what? If you want to trade Barkley, maybe that's not a bad idea either, um, you know, to do that. So, you know, those are your options you basically have. Captain Buccaneer, uh, the Lions did a soft restructure Taylor Decker's contract. Why don't all teams do that to free up a bunch of cap space? Uh, simply because, you know, it can give leverage to to players and extensions. Um, you know, when you increase those cap hits in the future, you get players where, you know, you, you don't want to walk away from them, but you probably don't want to extend them. But when you look at those cap hits, it, it's almost like the only way to do it is to extend them. It gives a lot of leverage. And, you know, if the players don't play well or, you know, you end up having to, to just leave it, um, you know, you, you just end up leaving a lot of dead money on the books for players, not on your team. So I, I think that's that's just kind of a reason why teams are careful with it, um, you know, as to, to what they do. Brian, two questions. Can you explain the NFL's late season TV flex policy with how schedules are decided this year? Did things change with Monday Night Football being more flexible? I haven't really followed it, so I, I, I'll try to maybe 
pay attention to that next week. I don't really pay attention to the scheduling, so um, I'm not even I'm not even sure how the rules work for that this year. Can you give your final playoff expectations for the 2022 season? Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, you look at the AFC East. I I would say that's the Buffalo division there. Um, you know, can Miami compete for a playoff spot with all the money they spent? Maybe. Uh, New England, maybe. Jets, I'm not as sold on. I, You know, if I had to rank the order of those teams, I think Buffalo is a definite playoff team. Miami has a chance to be a playoff team. I think the Patriots and Jets are probably outside looking in. Uh, I think the Ravens are a playoff team. I think the Browns might be a playoff team if they can uh, get something out of Brissett and Watson you know, can dust off the cobwebs quick enough. And uh, he hasn't played in an NFL game in a long time, you know, and be there. So I think you've got those two teams. I think the Bengals will be on the outside looking in. I think the Steelers are going to have a tough season. Um, Texans, I don't expect much from. Uh, I would think the Jaguars are going to be a team that maybe makes playoffs this year. It's all going to depend on the quarterback there. That that's probably a high end potential to surprise. They also probably have potential to stink. Um, the Colts, I would say, are probably going to be in their usual spot of competing for one of those wild card spots. I think the Titans are going to be a big fall this year. Um, maybe I'll be wrong about that, but uh, I think they're going to have a. I think this is going to be a team that's going to go from like a number one seed to maybe not even making the playoffs. Uh, the AFC West is going to be a bloodbath, which is, you know, maybe going to make it more difficult. Um, I think until proven otherwise, I think the Chiefs are obviously the cream of the crop in the AFC West. Um, I think the Chargers, Chargers have to make the playoffs. If they don't, I mean, it, there's a problem and they're, they're going to miss out on their, their window. Obviously, they've, they've done their best to stack this roster. I think it's the second best team. I think there's a big drop-off to the Broncos and I think a bigger drop-off to the Raiders. But I do think the Broncos are going to compete for a playoff spot. Um, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to get it, but I, I think they're going to be in there with it. Uh, but I, I would rank them third of the four, and I, I would put the Raiders fourth. Uh, you look at the East, I think the Eagles um, are going to be the best team there. Even their their little quarterbacks that they, they have, if Hurts doesn't play well, I think you can get enough out of Minshew to uh, probably win that division. I think Dallas is going to take a step back. Giants, I don't expect anything from. Washington, I don't really expect much from. Um, I don't think Washington is going to be terrible. I just don't expect much from them to, in terms of competing. I don't know if Dallas is going to compete for the playoffs this year. Um, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Uh, I think when you look at the North, I think it's kind of wide open. But, I, again, I, I think you just go with Rodgers and you say, well, the Packers will be there again. They'll probably disappoint in the playoffs again. Um I don't know on any of the other teams there. I don't think any of the teams are really going to compete. Uh, you know, Chicago, I think, is going to have a bad season. I think the Vikings, you know, the Vikings will probably compete for a playoff spot. I wouldn't, I don't think they'll be a playoff team. I think the Lions will be respectable, not probably a playoff team. Um, so I don't see that. Uh, I don't think Atlanta is going to be competitive. I think the Buccaneers, I'm a little worried about some stuff there, but, you know, you, you got to say the Bucks. Can the Saints get anything out of Winston? You know, I, I don't know. I think the loss of the head coach there is huge. I think Carolina could surprise some teams. Um, Carolina is going to be another one of those teams where it's either all going to click and they're going to save their jobs, or you're probably going to get a new coaching staff and maybe GM hot seat um, You know, for next year. And if things go really bad, I, I could see a situation where Rule doesn't even finish the year out. 
but I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I, I think they do have a lot of potential because of Mayfield being there. I, I think there is, um, you know, a, a chance that they, they can um, do pretty well. I like their defense. I, I like some of the stuff they have there. Um, DJ Moore is a good player. If McCaffrey is healthy, defenses are going to give him a lot of respect and maybe that's going to open some stuff up, um, you know, in the other areas. Anderson is okay. Um, you know, but they, they Mayfield has some better players here, I think, than he had in uh, Cleveland. So I, I think that there there's a chance that this could be something. And may, maybe he's going to play a little bit with a chip on the shoulder. Um, so those two. And then you have the West, which, you know, I think is pretty good. I think the Seahawks will be terrible. I think the Rams will be very good this year. I think the Cardinals will be okay. And I think San Francisco is, you know, they're, they're going to be so-so. You know, you, you look at that quarterback again, um, you know, and that gives you high-end upside. It gives you some high downside. And obviously, they, they've protected themselves. If Garoppolo can stay healthy, you know, two years in a row, um, they do have some insurance on that. So that's probably a playoff team as well. Um, I don't know. I, I just look at these some of these teams in the AFC, and I just like them a lot better than the teams in the NFC this year. Uh, the NFC is a lot of um, age. They're not as the the rosters aren't as well rounded, I think, um, as some of these squads. So, I guess those would be the teams that uh, I would say right now. So uh, that probably means I'm all wrong, and you know, a lot of other teams are going to be the ones making the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, that's what I would say for that. Uh, let's see more questions. Well, um, that's what happens when I skip a week. Uh, can you explain what Dallas is thinking by using so little on the cap? So another one there. Uh, do you think they use all that future cap space extending uh, Parsons, CD Lamb? Um, yeah, they're they're using so little on the cap because they're just looking to offset their cap costs next year. Uh, in terms of using little on the payroll, which they also do, I'll, I'll do a post on that this week. Uh, that's probably more designed for, yeah, those extensions that they're going to be giving to some of their other players. Lamb would probably be the big one uh, that I, I would guess they have earmarked for a monster extension. Um, you know, he's got he's to gotta provide a full season, but I, I would say that's someone, uh, Parson, more long-term, you know, um, yeah, he's got a little more time there. But yeah, I would say that's the, uh, that's the issue. Um, JP, Joe Douglas done a great job cleaning up the Jets cap in the past few years, but can you explain why he gave so much guaranteed money to two kickers this offseason when only one can make the roster? Uh, I think it was just, you know, I, I think what they looked at is you, you look at your money that you're going to allocate to the position. And I, I think, you know, when they, they originally, it was Panero was the, uh, the first one, right? And he was a restricted free agent. So they did the deal that would guarantee him some money, but you brought his tender number way down. And I think then when, um, you know, they, their current kicker um, becomes available, I think what you do is, you know, you, you go into it and you say, okay, we're willing to spend uh, $3 million on the position or whatever that number is. Let's see. Let's see your line. Let me just see what Sir Line's cap number is. Yeah, his number's about two. And, you know, we're willing to spend around that much money. And so we're going to give Panero, you know, we already gave Panero whatever the guarantee was, you know, which is going to get offset. Um, you know, I think he got signed by the Panthers. So, I mean, most of that guarantee is going to get offset anyway. Um, <coughs> 
you know, on there. But I, I think they look at it more from the perspective of, um, you know, we, we can allocate $3 million to this position. And regardless of which player we keep, our total allocation to that position is still going to be $3 million for this year. And again, it's base salary stuff. So as long as they sign with another team, we're going to get our money back. Um, you know, the following year. So I, I think that's why they did that. Jets did that in a couple of spots this year. And I think that's what it was. It was just a a kind of a um, kind of a value that you would have um, to, you know, just to that uh, overall to the position. Um, but I would say that's the kind of the logic. Uh, player be named leader. Maybe not your thing, but at least Jason, why can't they dress all 53? Uh, why is that the rule? What's the point? So I think this just dates back to years and years and years and years ago. You had a 53-man roster, but you didn't have practice squad elevations. You didn't have injury protection. You didn't have all that stuff. So I, I think the the running theory was that you had guys that were banged up and were maybe going to miss two, three games. Um, you know who couldn't. You know they they couldn't give you two or three games, and you were at a competitive disadvantage against teams that can dress 53 when you can only dress, you know, 48 guys because of, you know, players being nicked up, um, you know, players being banged up. So I think it was a way that teams thought they could gain some competitive balance, basically by saying all you can dress is 46. And, you know, you used to have an emergency quarterback, um, I think was the, the rule back then. But I think that's what it was. It was just to ensure that teams that have these guys who are hurt um, you know, for a couple of weeks, you know, that you're, you're not at a, a complete disadvantage in your roster size compared to other players that uh, other teams, they're going to have to not dress healthy players just to keep the rosters balanced out. Um, now with short-term IR, it's silly. I, I think it, it's really asinine to have these rules where, um, you know, you're carrying 53, but you can only dress 48 provided that two are alignment otherwise you can do 46 and you know they there are so many ways now that you can bring players up and down from your practice squad um it, it, it's stupid they, they should get rid of that dave does joe douglas get fired if the jets go four and 13 again uh i would think so i, I think that if the jets are a four-win team unless wilson misses the whole season um, and certainly it doesn't look that way. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll even be out there this week. I would doubt it. But yeah, unless um, if the Jets are really bad this season, I, I think you you drop both of them. Um, you know, you, you drop the coach and you drop the GM. I mean, it, it's a, you've had a lot of time. And, you know, if, if your quarterback isn't getting the job done in the second year, yes, there is that third-year turnaround. But, you know, the Bills were run like a viable team you know they were a playoff team in spite of mediocre quarterback play from josh allen and then josh allen explodes and now it's done with but i mean before josh allen became josh allen you could look at the job they did in buffalo and say you know these guys are doing a masterful job um you know and you know as really good executives i i would not look at the jets front office and say that they've done that same kind of job at least not yet um you know in clawing out of a disaster the the bills were more of a disaster than the jets were um with the cap 
as hard as that might be to believe. Um, you know, Douglas, Douglas has been a great trader, but you know, it doesn't amount to anything. You know, if I'm if I'm the the Raiders and I traded for all these first round picks and they're all busts. Um, not not to say that the Jets are have bust picks, but if all you're doing is winning four games in spite of that, you know, something's not right. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think the Jets have to make the playoffs for him to retain. Um, it would be nice, but I, I think the Jets have to be like a seven, eight win team kind of this year for everybody to, uh, to be protected from next year. Kata, why nobody talk about the Titans? Maybe because they play old school type of football and it's not catchy. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's a smaller market. I mean, it, obviously, I was talking about it before, <laughs> not in a positive way. Uh, but I, I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. I, I get a lot of people that ask me, and I think that's because, you know, hardcore fans, you know, follow kind of things like this that are, you know, very, very specific to little subjects because, you know, you love your team and you want to talk about every aspect of your team. Um you know, the the Titans, like, I, I don't get a lot of people, like, that even come on the site to look at the Titans. And you do see it all the time. You know, they, they could be a good team and nobody cares. You know, it's kind of like the Indianapolis Colts without, if they don't have a Peyton Manning type player. You know, you're just not that interested in it. You know, when, it, when you, your situation is, you know, you're a competitive team, but your quarterback is Carson Wentz or end of career Phillip Rivers or... You know, those types of players and you're, you're running behind Jonathan Stewart, you know, it's just not exciting. Um, so people don't get wrapped up in it. You, you don't get into the that style. It's not fun like watching the Chiefs or the Bills, you know, not slinging the ball all over the field. Um, you know, and I, I think just the inherent fan base itself is a little bit smaller, not as wild as Buffalo. You know, Buffalo is not a huge market either, but I mean, the fans are wild. So, you know, when you see these fans out there jumping through tables and doing crazy stuff, um, you know, it, it adds to, to the interest that people have in it. So I, I think that's just what it is for the Titans. But, you know, they, they've had a, a lot of really good seasons here. And I, I think if you're a, a fan of the team, you have to be happy with that. I, I'm just worried about if you look at them, I, I think they last year was like the breaking point for them. And it should have been okay, we take some steps back. Let's figure out what the next part of our career is, uh, or, you know, of our franchise is. And I don't, I don't think they did that. Um, you know, I think trading the receiver was probably the wrong move. Um, understand why they did it, but I, I kind of could see that being wrong. Um, you know, but it's like, if you're going to do that, there were other moves you probably should have made to, to go. And, you know, the, the injuries are piling up. So I think it might be tough for them. Uh, Jacob, were there any surprising cuts in terms of money and salary? Uh, just that one that I talked about before with Blake Martinez. That was really the only shocking one. Shoes, 54. When Antonio Brown signed his first contract extension with the Steelers, I think five for 55, how good of a deal was that at the time? Any chance of a team getting a deal like that now? And if you were advising Lamar, what would it take? Um, so Brown's first extension was was a long-term deal. I'm going to say it was like $8 million a year. Okay, so it was five years, forty-one point nine six million, averaged eight point four. Um, 
I don't have the full value. What do I, am I missing a year there? I must not have the last year in there of the old deal. I, I didn't used to keep the old years in there, so I probably don't have the, 27, the original 2017 year. So that's why it's only showing me five years. But it's a five extension, so it was six years in total. It was 8.4. It was an example of a team uh, taking advantage of a really early window. Look, you could actually go back and what Brown's track record was at the time. Uh, I, let, let me pull up his stats, but if memory serves me right... It was actually a pretty risky deal for the Steelers. Uh, I'm going to say he had one year at that point in time that maybe warranted being paid. Let's see. Antonio Brown. I think he was a Rosenhaus client, so that sometimes he gets those deals done quick. So, yeah, you had... um, So he signed that deal in... 2012. So he had only been in the league for two years, right? Yeah. So he had only been in the league for two years. So this was an example of the early, um, you know, the the early stuff that you would do with contracts. So his first year in the league, you know, only played in nine games, 19 targets, 167 yards. So basically did nothing. Comes out the next year, Pro Bowl kind of season, 1,100 yards. Um, two touchdowns, uh, you know, stuns everyone, 16 yards per reception. And they do the extension. Was that a mid-year extension? Let me actually just look at the date. No, it was a July. So they did it before the season. So the next year he comes back, plays 13 games, has 787 yards. Yards per reception is down to 11.9. Um, I don't remember if that was the year that Roethlisberger got suspended for a couple games. I can't recall. But anyway... At that point in time, you know, when you're looking at that deal in, in context of the market, top deal of legitimate players in 2012, I don't know, maybe 13-ish, something like that. So he's probably being paid around a number two or 1A. That, that was probably a 1A level, um, I would guess, back then. But I, I think you could have probably looked at that critically when the deal was signed and gone, you know, wow, you know, he had that one great year. Is it enough after one great year to do a pretty big contract like that? And then that first year when he does it, he's got the 787. You're still probably saying that. And then it just explodes. 1499, 1698, 1834. You know, and now it just becomes like the best contract in the league. Um, you know, so they took a risk with an early signing and you know, that, that was something the Patriots did the same strategy with Rob Gronkowski. All the same all the same stuff. You went with the same things. And it was all same end result. Great contracts uh, for those teams. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that that was considered a great deal at the time. I think it was probably like a, you know, a little bit of a risk um, when they did it. But it's one of the benefits that you had in that old CBA of being a able to do deals after two years to where you could take risks like that and maybe they would work out. You know, maybe they uh, maybe they wouldn't. Steelers used to do three-year rookie deals at that time, um, you know, so it was a little bit different in that respect too. So, yeah. Uh, is there any chance of a team getting a deal like that now? No, I don't think so. So, first of all, you can't do the guys after two. And even if you look at the guys getting extended after three, it's such a frenzy to be the highest paid 
that the only guys really doing deals after three, I think, are players who are looking for you know pretty big payday. And I think it's hard sometimes for people to be realistic about where they are to where maybe if you offered a lesser player, like a pretty reasonable contract that would be equivalent to something like that. I think they just look at it and it's just like, no, that's not reasonable. You know, I'm I'm great. And it's like, well, now you're going to have to show that you're great on the field because you haven't shown it yet, you know, or you haven't shown it consistently enough. So I, I don't think you, you'll see that, you know, for example, like a like Debo Samuel this year. You know, this was like a real breakout year for him. Now, obviously, you talk about different draft statuses here. Um, Brown was what, a six? He was later, right? I'm pretty sure he was a later pick. Uh, yeah, six round pick. So, you know, that, that's hard to compare a six to a, a number two. Um, but, you know, it, it or two or three, whatever it was, uh, you know, it, it's a comparable in the sense that you're talking about a year and that one year got him to be like the highest paid player at the position. So I, I, I don't think you are, um, you're going to see those kind of contracts come up much anymore. Uh, Steve, can a team have too many draft picks, making them lean towards holding onto raw talents rather than ready players? Uh, no, I don't think so, because you can always take those draft picks and cut them and put them on the practice squad. I think if you believe you have too many picks, um, you know, basically by meaning too many picks, you're talking about too many like seventh round picks or sixth round picks. I think usually what you do in those cases are during the draft, you already go, we have too many picks this year. And they're not all going to make the team. Why waste the signing bonus money on them? Um, I think what you do is during the draft, you look for teams that are willing to trade you next year's seventh or next year's sixth for your seventh round pick. And you, you just try to defer those picks to the following year. And I, I think that's really the strategy that you use. Um, but I, I think otherwise, no. Because I, I think usually if you accumulate a ton of picks you're probably not one of those teams that has like a, a really good roster, um, you know, to where you want to have veteran players over some of those younger guys. But in the years where like a team like the Patriots would have that, they were always smart enough to trade back into the next year's draft um, rather than, you know, having that happen. Dave, can you please explain the cap changes that happen when teams make final cuts and set their set their initial 53? It's just the rules change. In the offseason, the only stuff that counts on the cap is your top 51 uh, salaries and your um, dead money. And, you know, any bonuses for players outside of the top 53, any signing bonus proration, any roster bonus, any workout bonus, but usually those are pretty minimal. Um, when you go past final cuts... You now have to account for 53 players instead of 51. You're still accounting for all your dead money and you're accounting for a practice squad. All your players who are on injured reserve that weren't in the top 51, you're now counting all those players on your cap. All the players on the physically unable to perform lists, list that were not in the top 51 are now counting on your cap. All the players on NFI that were not in your top 51 are now counting on your cap. So the cap really goes from accounting for um, 51 players and whatever amount of dead money you have it goes to basically, I would say, 60 players on average um, plus a practice squad plus dead money. You know, So that that's basically what the, the big change is. You basically have to account per team for probably nine more players total and a practice squad. And that practice squad is going to cost you, because the practice squads are so large now, you know, $3.5 million dollars.
Uh, New York Giants fan. Uh, can the site list whether a player is a vested veteran or not? The number of players with less than four crewed seasons per site whose contracts were terminated, vested veterans, and avoided waivers was confusing. How can a player has less? Th- how can a player have less than that? I think we might show accrued seasons on a player page. I think, uh, but we don't have it in the charts um, for the contracts. I'm not sure if we can fit that. I- I'll have to see. Uh, I'm not sure. But the, the reason um, for that is you can get one accrued season towards being a vested veteran uh, based on practice squad. So even though it doesn't count towards your salary um, as a credited season, it does towards being considered a vested veteran. And that's what throws a lot of people off is when you do get these players who are like, for example, a restricted free agent, but they spent a year on the practice squad, then they had three years on the team, now they're restricted. And then when you cut them, they don't have to pass through waivers. You kind of scratch your head and go, how is that possible? But that that's the reason for that. They, they were already vested, and so their salaries are actually protected um, the same way others are by being on the roster in the first week. Um, but usually that's what it is. It's that they had a season on a practice squad. Or, you know, if you got six weeks worth of pay as an injury settlement, you know, that's basically as if you spent six weeks on a roster. And so that that's where that throws things off. All right, last question. Colin, uh, can teams take insurance against player injury and get cap relief? How would that work? So I talked about that one before too. You take out um, protection on those salaries and as you get reimbursed, um, your adjustments change accordingly. So if you get it um, in a reimbursement on signing bonus money, they will reevaluate your signing bonus. So let's say the player had a $20 million signing bonus prorated over five years. And let's say the player is hurt. You got $4 million back. Um, on that signing bonus, the NFL will actually revalue that signing bonus as if it's a twenty uh, $16 million signing bonus now. And now that'll be accrued or that'll be counted over the five years, um, you know, at $16 million a season. And that's how you get your cap release there. If you get your money paid back on like salary, um, you know, let's say you had an insurance policy, player is hurt, and you got back $2 million in salary, I believe you get a $2 million credit on the cap that following year or whenever the year is after you get payment um on that you're, you're getting that for money that you got back on that contract because you are making certain that the team was named as the beneficiary um in the original contract so that that's how that um how that works out so all right everyone that was a very long podcast uh i guess that's what you get for missing a week so <laughs> Uh, hopefully I'll be back this week. Everybody enjoy the games. Um, you know, looking forward to having the season. Hopefully the Jets will be playing. We're at least getting the guys to talk about meaningful football in December. We're not saying the P word yet. You know, no, nobody wants to even pretend like that. That's a real goal. But um, at least we're saying we're trying to be competitive. You know, not not meaning competitive that you're being playing against teams competing for something that you're actually competing for something. So. Hopefully, we're not out of the season uh, by November, like we've been the last couple of years. Um, you know, but it should be enjoyable. Uh, hopefully, everybody enjoys the DFS runs and everything else. Uh, we will get into doing the uh, for premium stuff and for the stuff that we'll have online each week. I will do the player valuations again this year. Uh, we'll do those. I don't know when I'll get them online. It might be every Wednesday. Um, that we get them up there. My schedule is crazy hectic um, for this year. So sometimes it might be on the weekends even that we'll uh, we'll get those valuations up there um, for the in-season stuff. And they're, they're just fun things to, to talk about just to see 
how you would rank everyone if everybody had to be paid as like a veteran and that was all you could do is split the money up. Uh, you know, obviously all contracts would be down. But, um, you know, I, I just think it's a kind of an interesting way to to look at where the money should be allocated based on the way players play. So we'll get that done. And uh, I got some things in mind, I think, next year for free agency. Let's see. Um, so I'll see what we can work on with that and uh, how we can work to, to build some stuff in there, maybe to get some little bit more discussions going on some stuff. So uh, hopefully season will be fun for everybody. So enjoy, and hopefully I'll be online during the games next Sunday and interacting with, uh, you know, people during that and, you know, seeing what stuff uh, comes up that seems pretty interesting. So everybody enjoy the week, and I will all talk to you again soon.